And we are on air for Banbury Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, and uh, tonight we are previewing both Talladega for the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series as well as the Arkham Menard Series. And uh, the Arkham Menard Series West is racing out at Kern County Raceway. So we'll be talking about all of those races. We'll also give you some updates from the uh, uh, series that are not running this weekend. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Schusman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. A big weekend coming up at Talladega. Biggest track on the NASCAR circuit. We got the Xfinity Series, Cup Series, and the Arkham Menard Series. And then, as you mentioned, the Arkham Menards West also running out on the West Coast at Kern County. So, huge weekend of racing. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, we also have a guest coming on board during the 9 o'clock half hour. Uh, might not happen right at 9 o'clock, might be about five minutes after, but we have Charles Head, uh coming in tonight to chat with us. He's a radio, he's an announcer, tech announcer, as well as a broadcaster. And uh, he'll be doing a show tonight, and he's coming right from his show into our show. So that's why there will be a little bit of a delay. Uh, for him coming on board tonight. But, uh, Jay, is there anything else you wanted to add there? No, I'm just super excited. As you mentioned, he does his own radio show there in Atlanta um, that he's coming right off of. I got to work with him a couple weeks ago at Livonia Speedway and just felt the, the energy and what he can bring to a conversation about NASCAR, where it's been, where it's going. So can't wait to talk to him here coming up in about a half hour. Yes, indeed. Uh, definitely looking forward to that. We're going to start with some short track news. We'll get into the Arkham Menard series and the two races uh, that are taking place this weekend. Uh, then we'll talk with Charles Head, and after that, we'll give you some truck series updates because they are not racing this weekend. And then the Xfinity and Cup Series preview at Talladega. Um, now, <clears throat> 10 o'clock, of course, is our hot topic sound off. And it sounds like we are, uh, we definitely have Mike. And Andy is going to be running a little bit late, but I think he's planning to try to get on uh, before 1030, if at all possible. Well, good deal. I know Andy and Mike both uh, kind of got to play with their schedule on when they can hop on. I hope we got them both on here tonight. Um, always exciting and fun a conversation. Uh, that we, uh, some of us have in the chat room, uh, you know, we change it up a little bit when we come on air, but the feeling and the, and the enthusiasm <laughs> is still there. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, talking about the short track um, racing this weekend, William Byron uh, made an announcement. He's planning to return to super late model racing roots again uh, in May at Nashville. So, William Byron will be in a super late model uh, next month for, I think, the North and the South Super Late Model Challenge. And we've seen him do this and do well at it uh, as far as winning at the, at the late model level. And talk about uh, the experience in just getting in different cars, how it's helped his cup level as well. And we've seen that blossom as he is the only driver out of nine, eight races so far this year. Um, to have two victories at the Cup Series level. So I think it's paying dividends. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you watched the races this weekend, the truck series race, but they did a feature on L.D. Crafton, uh, which was kind of cool because her dad is very much involved in her racing career. And uh, Pepper Jack Kennels is uh, a sponsor for her. So uh, if you might recall that Pepper Jack Kennels is also the sponsor for Derek Thorne. So they're very much involved in the sport. Uh, and uh, they, they really recognize the talent of Elodie Crafton and uh, her racing in the outlaw carts and sights set on quarter midgets for the future. So uh, did you see that little uh, snippet about her? I did, and, and that, talking about the sponsor is one thing, but it, talking about the dad involvement, uh, you know, that's really what struck with me is, you know, when, when they move to that next generation and being involved with their child's decision, uh, we've heard several of them talk about, you know, that, no, that wasn't necessarily what they wanted or expected or could finance, but if that's what they desire, they find a way. And, and to see that mm-hmm. Matt's eyes light up, uh, I know one of the other broadcasters talk about that when he talks about it, his face and his eyes, just the way they light up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's a great article over at Racing America about Elodie Crafton and uh, her sponsor, Pepper Jack Kennel. So uh, if you get a chance and want to check that out. And then also uh, the Spears Pro late models are joining the ARCA West at Kern County this weekend. So, uh that's going to be kind of exciting. It is. It, it's always great when we see a mixture of classes come together like that and get the double exposure, if you will, um, as well as meet other drivers. I, I know that was a big thing we had this uh, past couple of weeks ago here at Magnolia Motor Speedway to see the interaction between drivers that normally don't get to race against each other. So that's always a, a huge thing, I think, for especially for a speedway. Yes, indeed. Uh, all three, uh, I know Tanner Wright, who we've had on the show here, uh, he won the second event um, and led the standings uh, after American Speedway in that pro-late model series. Uh, but, so he's going to be racing in both series uh, this week in the Kern County. So, uh, but the, it's really cool to see this partnership with this year's uh, Pro Late Models joining the Arca West out there at Colonel County. It is, and I, the other thing, going down Racing America, looking at it, a lot of tracks, again, trying to get that first event in. Some of them were postponed, but seeing the amount of racing we're going to have this weekend uh, really excites me. It does, it does. And then in Slinger National, uh, Slinger Speedway up in Wisconsin, uh, you're going to see a lot of the, um, what do you call them, Wisconsin native drivers uh, that will be taking part in that. Time of Desky, uh, Casey Johnston, Dalton Fair, Jonathan Iler, uh, Chicago champion Eddie Hoffman. Uh, he's from Wheaton, Illinois here. Uh, Tundra champion Riley Stenzem. Uh, all of them are entered into this Sunday showdown out at Slinger. Uh, but there's a lot of different entries for this race. 
And that's one of those, uh, you know, I wish, I wish I could time it right to be home during that time to be over there uh, at Slinger Speedway, not one I've gotten a ch- uh, chance to visit, uh, but it's certainly on the bucket list. Uh, if, you, if you're in that area, you certainly want to go check it out. You definitely do. Uh, and uh, uh, you can hear about some of these guys. Derek Krauss. Uh, also from the Wisconsin area, I think he's planning to be in that race as well. So uh, I'm just kind of running down the list here. Uh, from Roscoe, Illinois, Austin Nason uh, is planning to be there. Um, there's just so many different people. Uh, Gabe Summers from Plover, Wisconsin. Grant Gregbaugh from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, LaVon Vandergeest, Jeff Storm, Mark Lemereau, Nick Wagner, <laughs> Dennis Punty. I mean, there's there's a whole list here and kind of some features here of uh, some of these drivers so that you can learn about them before this race takes place this weekend. So I'd really recommend uh, they've done a great uh, get out there. Uh, and uh, you read this article because you'll learn a lot about the drivers uh, that are participating this weekend. Well, and I tell you what, picking up a victory or running good with some of the top names that that are going to be there, that's what gets you the kind of attention that gets you into that next level or a bigger ride moving up or expanding your, your driving. Um, you get spot starts with different teams. That's why events like this are so huge. And I believe, it, uh, let me see, is this one going to be ta- on uh, Racing America? I don't remember where, yes. where I saw that this one was going to be on. Okay, so this one's on Racing America. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to Flow Sports, you'll see a lot more racing. Uh, New Pavement has Bowman Gray drivers expecting even more contact. So uh, racing out at Bowman Gray this weekend as well. And uh, they have New Pavement up there, so that should be pretty interesting. Uh, that's certainly uh, interesting when you, when you repave a track like that, especially a short track where we see that kind of uh, close racing action and some of the activities that follow. So new pavement uh, certainly could add to that. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But with the amount of racing they do, I don't think it'll take long to wear that track back into what it was, was prior <laughs> to. Exactly right. Uh, now, Bloomberg... Fair Raceway is also going to be on the schedule this week, and actually there's some live racing there right now over at Flow Racing. The 2022 Tago All-Star Circuit of Champions uh, is uh, out there, and the Spring Nationals at Tri-County Racetrack uh, is available right now on Flow Racing, uh, and there's a lot more racing this weekend. Yeah, like I mentioned, check out either of those two platforms. Uh, not in the Talladega area. If you're in the Talladega area, you can get out and see uh, the racing going on there, the West Coast, Kern County. Uh, You can't not find racing going on this weekend. Yeah, there's so many that are on this list. It's going to be impossible to name all of them. Uh, But what I do is I go to Flow Racing, and then I click on the schedule link at the top of the page. And you can see all the different races that are available uh, if you have a Flow Racing subscription. Uh, 
you will not be lacking uh, <laughs> your racing fix this weekend with all the racing that's, that's taking place. Uh, there is a lot uh, of racing taking place, and that includes the Arkham Menard Series at Kern County Raceway, and the Arkham Menard Series will be racing at uh, Talladega, and that will be on Fox Sports 1. Well, definitely looking forward to that third race uh, for the West Series as we see that points battle, two points, four points, six points, and eight points, the top four. So I'm really excited to see how that one plays out. Yes, indeed. There are some great articles over at ARCAracing.com as we transition over to the ARCA Menard Series. Uh, Sarah and Bridget Burgess trying to make ARCA history uh, this weekend. That is a mother-daughter team uh, from Australia. The door are trying to make history this weekend uh, at the Speedway. Uh, I'm trying to see. Actually, Sharon, I think it, I think it said July 2nd at Irwindale is what they're targeting. targeting sorry. Oh, okay. At Irwindale? Oh, the Mark Arca West, yes. So there's a great article there uh, about Sarah and Bridget Burgess and uh, – I, I would highly recommend everybody checking this out. It's it's really a great article. We had Bridget on last year. We'll have to try to get her back again. Yeah, having having them on, uh, I know we got to talk to uh, Sarah a little bit, and then Bridget, um, especially coming up for this, on so many levels, uh, Australian. I know we've had a couple of Australians, Marcus Ambrose, coming to mind uh, immediately. But then the mother-daughter du- duo. You know, we hear a lot about the father-son duos. To see the mother-daughter duo, uh, I think, is just awesome to see. It, it really is. Okay, this is the 60th trip to the uh, Talladega Super Speedway for the Arkham Menard Series. And they are racing uh, this Saturday, April the 23rd, at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. And you'll be able to see this race on Fox Sports 1. Uh, it, there's also radio coverage, MRN and Sirius XM Channel 391, and online it's 981. You can also get some radio coverage at ARCAracing.com. This is a 2.66-mile super speedway. They'll be racing 76 laps. Uh, they'll have practice groups at 3 p.m. Central on Saturday, and the race, uh, I'm sorry, Friday. <laughs> That's practice groups. 3 p.m. on Friday, and then Saturday is the race at noon Central Time. Uh, this is going to be a fun race. I think this is, what, the third race of the season now? Uh, they've had quite a bit of time off here. So uh, this will be the 60th visit to Talladega with Corey Heim returning to defend his victory from just a season ago with Venturini Motorsports. It is. You mentioned it. It has been a month off, but uh, they're going to all be chomping at the bit. And you mentioned Venturini Motorsports. They have has, for a lack of a better phrase, owned super speed racing in the Arkham and Ard Series for the last several years. Now, the team has won the last five consecutive races at Daytona International Speedway, dating back to Michael Self's 2018 victory at the legendary facility, and they've won the last two races held at Talladega with Drew Joller doing it in 2021 
and then you mentioned Heim emerging as a victor last year. Now, Heim headlines the list of entries this weekend aboard his number 20 Crescent Tool Toyota as he chases his fourth ARCA Super Speedway victory. He's been really good on the Super Speedways. He'll, he's looking for his second Super Speedway win this year overall after winning at Daytona in February. Uh, with drafting an apparent strong suit, Heim also earned his maiden NASCAR Camping World Truck Series victory at the recently reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway in March. So February then March were two big months for Corey Heim. Heim uh, will also be joined by his teammates, uh, Parker Chase and Gus Dean and Tony Bridinger. Uh, Dean is also a previous winner at Talladega in competition with ARCA while Chase and Breitinger are expected to be near the front of the field this weekend. Well, and that is a strong lineup for Venturini Motorsports. But in addition to the aforementioned Hyman Dean, Dollar also returns to Talladega in search of his second Super Speedway Triumph. Uh, He'll be back in the number 18 Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota, in search of redemption after a crash on the last lap of the race at Daytona ended his chances at victory. We also got Alabama's own Dave Mater III as he returns to Talladega after one year after nearly scoring an upset victory on the final lap. Mater ended up second, which was his first top five finish in ARCA competition since 1991. They'll look to do that one more position better on Saturday afternoon. Some other uh, contenders that are expected to be in the field include uh, an Arkham Art Series championship leader, uh, Daniel Dye, at the top of the points report right now. Brett Holmes is coming back home to Alabama to race this race. Also, Roger Carruth and Nick Sanchez, both of them Rev Racing, uh, looking to be in this race. Sean Core, Willie Mullins, and Andy Dekowiak. I think he's doing double duty because uh, I think I heard he was also racing uh, in the Xfinity Series. Lastly, uh, veteran racer Thomas Prater is expected to make his Arkham Art Series return after joining the series at Talladega last season. In nine starts at Talladega uh, throughout his career, he's a local Alabama driver, and his best finish is 12th. That was back in 2017. So uh, there's a, a bunch of names on this list for the General Tire 200, Jay. Well, and I like it kind of like the truck series. We see this mixture of drivers that have experience, our previous winners, but then also we got some drivers making their first start. We got to talk to a couple of them about that, you know, their first start on a track like this. So if we scroll mm-hmm. down here, trying to run through the whole list here, I know we got uh, the 07 of Brian Caltrider driving a Ford, and the 06 will be Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. He'll be in the number 06 of Wayne Peterson. Then there's Brayton Laster driving the 03, uh, and he's uh, driving in an Alex Club uh, uh, with Alex Club as his owner, and his crew chief is... um, Robert Bruce. Then there's Tim Monroe from Elmwood, Illinois. Uh, he'll be in the Hillenburg 01 Ford this weekend with Trey Galgan and his crew chief. 
The number 97, that'll be Jason Kitzmiller in a Cody Robaw Chevrolet coming out of Maysville, West Virginia, and out of West Fargo, North Dakota in a Haugenberg uh, Toyota. That'll be Bryce Haugenberg, a rookie with Magnum Contracting on the car. Okay, we mentioned Dandy Jakowiak. He's from Tawanda, New York, in the number 73 this weekend. He's driving a Ford, and Mike Dayton will be his crew chief. And the 69 is Scott Melton from Rockford, Michigan. He'll be driving the Ford with Bill Kimmel on top of the pit box. You mentioned the number 63. That'll be Dave Mater III, comes out of Irvington, Alabama, be driving a Chevrolet for Paris Wixon, and Brian Desott driving for his own team, a Chevrolet, coming out of Concord, North Carolina. That'll be the number 57. Justine, one of your favorite guys, Jay, in the number 55 this weekend from Bluffton, South Carolina. He'll be driving one of those Venturini uh, cars, and Dave Lanier is his crew chief. Uh, also in the number 48 is Brad Smith from Shelby Township, Michigan. He'll be in the Chevrolet for his team, and Terry Strange will be his crew chief. Next up, we got the 44. That'll be Thad Moffitt in a McClure Ford coming out of Trinity, North Carolina. And I believe their points leader out of Deland, Florida, the number 43, is Daniel Dye in a Gallagher GMS Chevrolet. Then we have Ryan Huff uh, from Williamsburg, Virginia. He'll be driving a Ford for their race team. And Rich Burgess is on top of the pit box. And then the 35, Great Van Alt. He'll be on our show Monday, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about this race. He hails from Andersonville, Indiana, uh, driving for his own team, the Chevrolet, with Jim Long on top of the pit box. In the number 32 out of Mexico City, Mexico, that'll be Max Gutierrez driving a Selinski Chevrolet in, for number 32. The number 30, another guest we've had on, Amber Balcone uh, out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, driving for Rhett, uh, Mark Rett, his crew chief owner, and that'll be a Ford machine. Then we have Tim Richmond from Ottawa, Illinois, uh, driving a Toyota, the number 27 with Daryl Phillips on top of the pit box. Kevin Reed Jr. is on top of the pit box for Hillsboro, California driver Tony Breidinger in the number 25 Venturini machine. We mentioned the number 23, Shane Huffman, the crew chief for the Holmes-owned uh, Golden Eagle Syrup Chevrolet. That'll be driver Brett Holmes out of Mumford, Alabama. And just down the road, Marietta, Georgia, that'll be the number 20 Venturini Toyota, uh, Corey Heim, Shannon Wersh on the box there. Mark McFarlane will be on top of the book, uh, box for the Kyle Busch Toyota, driven by Drew Dollar in that number 18. He hails from Atlanta, Georgia. Also, Parker Chase from New Brunswick, Texas, will be driving another Venturini car, the number 15, with Kevin Reed on top of the pit box. We got a pair of Hillenburg machines. The first one, the number twelve, is a Chevrolet driven by D.L. Wilson, coming out of Mart, Texas. Dick Dohaney on the crew box, and Tony Constantino, we crew chiefing the Ford number eleven. That's driven by John Garrett out of Athens, Texas. 
We've got Richard Garvey from Mineola, Florida, driving the number 10. Andy, Andy Hillenberg, Toyota, with Stephen Barton on the pit box. And Mike Abram will be on the pit box for Thomas Prater's uh, number 9. He hails from Mobile, Alabama. Another New York driver, Sean Kaur, comes out of Spring Valley, New York, in the number 8 uh, Core Chevrolet, Mike Chief as the crew chief. And Eric Cottle out of Piedmont, Oklahoma, driving the Cottle number seven Ford. Jeremy Petty will be his crew chief. Brad Parrott is on top of the pit box for the Max Siegel Rev Racing number six, driven by Roger Caruth. Uh, that Chevrolet, and he hails for, from Washington, D.C. In the number three is Willie Mullins from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, he'll be driving his Chevrolet for his team, and Brad Perez is on top of the pit box. Another Max Siegel uh, Rev Racing machine is the number two, driven by Nick Sanchez from Miami, Florida. Matt Boucher as uh, the crew chief. And the final entry we got on here, the zero, A.J. Moyer out of Tampa, Florida. He'll be in a Wayne Peterson Ford with crew chief David Smith. Okay, it's going to be an exciting race. We're running out of time very quickly here, so I'm going to get right into the Arco West race. After a year away, the West Series is set to return to Kern County Raceway this weekend for the Salute to the Oil Industry Napa Auto Parts 150. Uh, that race will take place this Saturday, April the 23rd at 8.15 p.m. Pacific Time. That's 11.15 Eastern Time. It will be available on live streaming on Flow Racing. There's also the USA delayed race uh, coverage will be Friday, April the 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can also listen to the radio at arcaracing.com. It's a half-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 150 laps. On Saturday, there will be a practice and qualifying from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., and then, of course, the race, as we mentioned earlier, uh, starts at 8.15 p.m. If you're out there uh, by Kern County in Bakersfield, California, you'll want to be out at the track this weekend for that SRL uh, prolate model event as well as the Arkham and Art Series West. Well, I'm fresh off of his dominant victory in the most recent West Series event at California's Irwindale Speedway. Tanner Reef leads the series into Saturday's race at Kern County Raceway Park. Now, Reef led every lap at Irwindale on the way to his maiden West Series victory for Sunrise Ford. And if he hopes to do that again, he'll have to go up against a solid contingent of tough competitors. Yeah, uh, Taylor Gray, by the way, is the defending winner, uh, the most recent winner at the track. Uh, and uh, chief among them, uh, chief among the contingent of competitors, is uh, the West Series Championship leader, Jake Drew, who continues his hunt for his first victory after a fourth-place finish at Irwindale. Uh, additional competition includes Austin Herzog, Cole Moore, Joey East, Trevor Huddleston, and P.J. Pedrincelli. So uh, that's going to be huge. But there's, there's even more. We, they did a feature on this guy uh, at Arca Racing not too long ago. Yeah, and that, well, Todd Souza. Yep, okay, sorry. Todd Souza is making his 100th West Series start 
uh, Saturday evening and believes he'll be a threat to win when the green flag waves. He was seventh in the most recent West Series at Kern County in 2020. And also joining the field, we got North Carolina's Landon Lewis, who shocked the Arkham Menard Series field by winning the Southern Illinois 100 at DuCoin State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois, last year. He'll make his West Series debut. It'll be in the number 42, fielded by Bruce Cook. Also, Amber Slagle returns to the West Series competition. She made three starts last season aboard that number 17 uh, for team owner Steve McGowan. Uh, this year, she's attempting to approve upon her West Series finish, which came last year at All-American Speedway at Roseville, when she finished in 10th place. Uh, again, we've got a whole lot of people on the entry list here. Uh, if we want to go over the entry list, I, I don't see where it is, though. Do you see that? Yeah, uh, somewhere on there, there was a link to it because I got it pulled up. I'll start at the bottom here. Uh, the number 99 mentioned Cole Moore right up there in the championship battle for uh, Bill McAnally. And then the number 88 is Bridget Burgess driving for Sarah Burgess in that Chevrolet. Okay, keep going because I still haven't found it. Uh, the 86 Toyota Tim Spurgeon has yet to announce a driver as of this posting. Mike David will be the crew chief. And then you got Trip Gaylord in the number 77. That'll be the Joe Nava Toyota, Dave McKenzie as the crew chief. The number okay, I'm there now. And the number, right, the number 66 car is Eric Reed from Bountiful, Utah. Uh, he'll be driving the Chevrolet uh, for the Al Jones-owned car. And Roxy Gabbard will be on top of the uh, pit box. Mike Nakey will be on top of the pit box for his Ford team. Uh, and car driven by Joey East, the number 54. He's out of Madera, California. We mentioned Trevor Huddleston. He'll be in his own number 50 with Travis Thurkettle as the crew chief. And Derek Peebles on the crew chief for Landon Lewis in that number 42 Chevrolet by Bruce Cook. And the number 39 is that Andrew Tunnel from Boise, Idaho. Uh, last chance racing uh, Chevrolet and Michael Parker will be on top of the pit box. And Ty Joyner, that's a familiar name for a lot of folks. Uh, will be the crew chief for the number 33 Toyota driven by P.J. Hedron Selly from Sonoma, California. Well, then you got the other Pedron Selly, Paul, being the number 31 Chevrolet, Rod Nealon as his crew chief. And we've talked about Amber Slagle. She'll have Sean Samuels as her, her crew chief of the Steve McGowan-owned Chevrolet number 17. Austin Herzog is driving the number 16. He hails from Clovis, California, uh, and that is a Bill McAnally Chevrolet, uh, and Charlie Wilson will be the crew chief. Michael Munoz is the crew chief for the Todd Souza machine, uh, and that will be the number 13 Ford. Todd hails from Aromas, California. The number 12 is a Steve Bohan own Chevrolet driver will be Kyle Keller coming out of Las Vegas, Nevada, with John Keller as his crew chief. Another Las Vegas driver is Chris Loudon. He'll be in the number 11, John Wood Chevrolet, with David Jackson as a crew chief. 
Tanner Rifle will be behind the wheel of the number nine for Sunrise Ford. Uh, the Bob Bucati machine. Jeff Schrader is his crew chief. And Jerry Pitts will be on top of the pit box for the Jerry Pitts number seven, driven by Takuma Koga from Japan. The other uh, Brunkati machine, uh, Ford, will be the number six, crew chief by Bill Sedgwick, driven by your current points leader, Jake Drew. And then out of Bogota, Colombia, comes the number four, Sebastian Arias, in an Eric Nascimento Toyota, and the crew chief will be Mike Nascimento. Okay. So who are, you, who are your picks uh, to win both of those races, Jay? Well, uh, let's see here. For the West Series, I think I'm going to go with uh, Cole Moore, uh, either Cole Moore or Trevor Huddleston. That one's kind of a coin flip for me. Uh, for the main Arkham Menard Series, I'd like to pick one of these regulars, but Corey Himes in the race, uh, I think you're going to have to beat him to prove that you're, that you're the, the top dog over him. Sorry about that. My dog, uh, has, somebody's at the door or something, so give me a minute here. All right. With that, I do believe there were 20 drivers on the Arkham Menard Series West uh, roster there that we just went through. That's a huge uh, field for the West Series. So quick look at the points here while Sharon's handling the, that. Jake Drew, I mentioned, is your points leader, up by two points over Tanner Reef, who has a victory. Cole Moore in third at minus four, and Austin Herzak minus eight. And Todd Souza, only 12 back, and that's your top five. You know, we didn't hit the uh, main yeah. Arkham Menard series. That, real quick there, I'll mention Daniel Dye is your points leader, 11 points over Rajah Karuth. Uh, Parker Chase, Tony Breidinger, and Nick Sanchez round out your top five there. Okay. Uh, and I just want to make sure we mention, too, that the Arca East will be racing next weekend. Uh, they're racing the Salute to the Oil. I'm sorry, that's the West. They're racing the General Tire 125 on April 29th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That will be at Dover Motor Speedway, and that will be our live stream at Flow Racing. Uh, we won't see the Sioux Chief Showdown show up again for their second race until June the 11th. So we'll tell you more about that as we get closer to the date. Well, I look forward okay. to previewing that as well as that'll be their third race. Okay, we're about to have a guest come on board here, Jay. When he comes on board, I'll let you know, and you can go ahead and do the introduction and get the interview started, uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, he's not here yet, but you go ahead and do the setup. All right. Well, he is an announcer and a broadcaster. And, and talking to him, uh, I think it would be easier to, to say what he hasn't done broadcasting for. We'll let him talk about that when he gets here in just a few. But currently living in the Georgia area, I'm not exactly sure where he's living, but as I mentioned, as a radio show, uh, Champ Radio on uh, in Atlanta. I don't have the radio station off the top of my head, but I know he does that weekly, as a lot of, well as a lot of other projects. I know he does some Facebook Live stuff and currently working at Livonia Speedway uh, for their weekly scheduled racing as it is um, throughout the year. So uh, just a man that's done a lot, and I can't wait to talk to him about uh, 
like I said, of what he's got brought from the past, current, and then the future. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to getting to know him uh, and talking with him uh, here tonight as well. And uh, like we say, he's uh, finishing up his home radio show, and uh, we're going to hear from him in just a little bit. He's from Tacoa Falls uh, in in uh, Adla- in Georgia. I wanted to say Atlanta. There you go. I knew I, I knew I'd heard the name. Uh, you're right, Tacoa Falls, and I, I wouldn't be able to specifically place that. I know Livonia is about an hour north of uh, of Atlanta, so I assume it's somewhere in that area, being that he works uh, both that track as well as does his radio show in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm, I'm on it. I'm looking now. He's still doing the radio show, so he might not be here for a little bit. Uh, what we may have to do is go ahead and get into a little bit of the truck series stuff here until he okay. arrives. I'm going to try to do a split screen here so I can kind of see uh, when. He, oh, he's here now. Okay, go ahead, Jay. All right. Well, as Sharon said, he is here. Uh, Tacoa Falls uh, announcer, broadcaster. I, I don't even know what else to say you've done with racing. Uh, Charles Head, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome, Jay. Man, so glad to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, we've uh, we've been around the sport for a while and uh, been been uh, had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Well, you say you say we. Now, I will say this: I, di- I didn't mention how long you've been doing this or how old you are. I didn't give anything like that away. Uh, you've been doing it a little bit longer than I have. Well, this is my 48th year of being an announcer, and and the way I became an announcer is uh, kind of unusual. I was a race car driver. Uh, 1974, I was driving a 55 Chevrolet, and uh, the announcer at the racetrack, he uh, his his baby was involved in a fire at their home. Uh, and he took a few weeks off, and, of course, the baby sub- subsequently died, and he never came back to the track. Mm. And so I just became the announcer at the track till they could find somebody, and 48 years later, I'm still there. Wow, that, that that's a little different, uh, again, than, than how I got involved. But I was telling the fans, I said, I said, truthfully, it'd be easier to talk about what you haven't done broadcasting for than what you have. Uh, having got to, to actually work side-by-side side with you, listening to the different broadcasts you have done. Talk about all the different writing you have done. Oh, my gracious. Well, I started out in 10th grade in high school. Um, you know how you, everybody used to read a, a paragraph around the room in, in English class, and I was reading in 10th grade, and my English teacher stopped me after I read my paragraph, and she said, you need to be on radio. You read well. So I went home and called the radio station and said, uh, my teacher says I read well, I should be on radio. And they said, well, you're in luck, we've got an opening. So the next day I started my radio career uh, when I was 16 years old. And uh, so I was in broadcasting for a number of years. I was bitten by the engineering bug. So I went to college, got my engineering degree, and I became a radio, a chief engineer of radio stations all around northeast Georgia and around the Atlanta area. Um, and, but I kept on being on the air. I had a penchant for racing, of course, so I would report on the, on the race results from Tacoa Raceway, Tacoa Speedway back then, uh, every weekend. And uh, so I started doing football and basketball and uh, play-by-play. I wound up on TV doing play-by-play. Uh, but I realized, Jay, early on, I could never be uh, an Eric Parsegan or a Keith Jackson or any of those great guys that we knew in football. I was just not 
I just didn't have a vehicle to do that. But I knew that I could be somebody pretty decent in racing. That's something that I knew well, and I knew I could be somebody in the racing world. So I started keying on racing, and that's how I wound up being uh, working with NASCAR for so many years and that kind of thing, because I was just driven to be the best I could possibly be, not the best ever, but the best I could be anyway at that point in time. All right, well, I got one more thing here. Uh, let's talk about what you're doing currently, and then I'm going to turn it over to uh, Sharon um, as she's got some questions as well. But what are you doing currently? We talked about your radio show that you actually just jumped off of, as well as I know you do Livonia Speedway weekly. What else you got on your plate? Yeah, I do Tacoma Raceway every Saturday night. Um, and so I'm, I'm tied up at, at both Livonia on Friday night, Tacoma on Saturday night. And twice a month, I announce at Atlanta Motorsports Park. That is a road course uh, up in Dawsonville, Georgia. That's the, the wine and cheese crowd. It's a whole different deal. They're racing, you know, half-million-dollar race cars around a 17-turn road course. Uh, so I get to do that a couple of times a month. Uh, that's, on, that's during the day. So I have those during the day on Saturday and then head to Tacoma on Saturday night. So that's kind of what I'm doing currently. All right. Well, and I want to talk about the future, the current, the present, and the future that we that we talked about when I was there working with you. But first, I'm going to turn it over. Sharon Burton is the owner and host of Fan for Racing uh, Blog and Radio, so I'm going to turn it over to her. Hi, Sharon. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, Charles, and we're very happy to have you on our show here tonight. I wanted to ask you, uh, with all of your experience uh, announcing and broadcasting. Uh, can you share with us your most memorable moment? Yeah, I got a, I got a couple of those. Um, the in NASCAR, I think one of my most memorable moments there um, is when I was doing the driver introductions at one of the races, and Dale Earnhardt Sr. came up and pulled my script out of my hand, just kind of messing with me. And uh, when he pulled my script out, he he just looked at me, and of course. When you go to a NASCAR race, you're expected to know everything. They don't give you a lot of information. So the script was kind of there just for me to look at. But I knew all the drivers. I knew where they were from. I knew their their sponsors, their hometowns. I knew everything. So I just continued right on and didn't miss a beat. And and Earnhardt looked over at Darrell Waltrip and kind of nudged him with his shoulder and said, that, that old boy's pretty good, ain't he? And I will never take anything for that memory of being recognized by the two of them as, as doing a good job. Um, and, of course, uh, the Tony Stewart stories, Lord have mercy. Tony Stewart was always <laughs> messing with me. He would stick a wet willy in my in my ear or uh, the purple nurple, as we call it, when I was trying to introduce the field or announce a race and hitting me in the side and the ribs to try to change my, my timbre of my voice. Uh, Stewart was always messing with you doing stuff. So those are some of the, of the best memories that I have of the NASCAR scene. Now, locally... Um, I've got some really good memories of some things that happened over the years watching guys uh, go from, like Chase Elliott, go from a, a kid, a dirt racer, a 12-year-old kid who was winning races that I was announcing now to doing what he's doing in NASCAR. Same with Joey Logano when he was just a kid, and we had to ask him how to pronounce his name because he didn't even know how to pronounce his name back at that point when he was 10 years old, and then we'll watch what he's doing in the world of NASCAR. So those are great memories of that. And, of course, there's some bad ones, too. I've announced at least, uh, well, two races that I remember specifically where uh, either the driver or a fan was killed at the racetrack during the race. And, and those are, although not good memories, they're still there in the memory bank, and you just have to go through those experiences also. 
Yeah, those are kind of tough to to manage yourself through that. But as a broadcaster, uh, that's one of the things you learn how to do uh, is how to deal with those uh, difficult situations. Um, Right. And and, uh, I I really love the stories that you just shared with us uh, as an announcer. What about as a broadcaster? Um, as a broadcaster, uh, it's a little different story because many times when I'm doing a broadcast at a racetrack, as Jay and I were doing the other week, we were doing a broadcast and track announcing at the same time. They're two totally different disciplines, but you have to merge the two together. When you're doing uh, television, broadcasting, and commentating, it's more conversational, and you don't have to fill in every moment. When you're doing a race on radio, you've got to fill in just about every moment because it's just like doing a radio show. You don't want any dead air. When you're doing track announcing, you have to be much more animated with your voice so that the fans can can understand a little bit about what you're saying. So all of those things have to kind of come together when you're doing a, a telecast and track announcing at the same time. It's very difficult to try to bring those two totally different worlds together in one broadcast. Um, so from a broadcasting standpoint, I like being able to work with someone because they can drag stories out of you and you can, can um, you, you have someone to play off of. In other words, you can form a chemistry with someone. Uh, it is much more difficult when you're a one-man show and you're doing a broadcast yourself and you don't have any time to, to collect your thoughts. Uh, I think um, it was uh, one of the great ESPN announcers, Dan Fouts. He used to be, of course, with the San Diego Chargers. He was a quarterback, and somebody asked him one time, they said, what was the most difficult thing in becoming a broadcaster from being a quarterback? And he said the hardest thing was to keep talking till I could think of something to say. And I think that for a broadcaster, <laughs> that just sums it up perfectly. <laughs> that, that's perfect. That is perfect. Um, and uh, I'm going to go back to Jay because we're, we're running short on time here, but Jay, uh, did you have anything, other questions for, for Charlie yet before we let him go? Yeah, the one thing I wanted to close with, and, and the reason I really wanted to have him on the show, and he kind of already hit on it, doing the, the joint uh, broadcast as well as race announcing. And, and first off, that'll go down as one of my best memories, getting to work alongside you. And I'll go ahead and say it. I got in a little bit of trouble. I was doing the race announcing with uh, fully animated I believe we blew an amp, and I, the finger got pointed at me. So the things he was just talking about in that adjustment, uh, I learned on the spot right then and there as we had to repair the amp. Well, those kind so of things happen sometimes. Don't, don't beat yourself up over yes. that. <laughs> well, and, and you mentioned the stories. We won't talk about the stories we pulled out of each other uh, during that broadcast, but something you mentioned there of we've been talking about the streaming services that have become available and the change in the sport and you talked about that of tracks really need to start getting on board with this of doing the live broadcast like that um so where you see the future of race announcing broadcasting going even at the dirt track levels 
Well, one of the things that we have a problem with is having youngsters who want to come on and become announcers. All of us announcers, you're the exception to this. We're all getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, there's not many of us that are young guys that are coming, or many young guys that are coming on board. I've been trying to train new announcers for a long time. I've been going to colleges, trying to recruit them. Uh, nobody, honestly, wants to give up every Friday and Saturday night. They just aren't interested in doing that. And I think that's the commitment level is the biggest problem we have. And, and quite honestly, in the in the entire employment industry right now, I think commitment level is a problem. So it's not just racing, but I do see that particularly happening at the racetracks. We need youngsters to come on who we can train and who can learn about racing, so they've got some generous, you know, some stories to tell. All right. Well, we appreciate it, and I know Sharon. Uh, you want me to do the the shout outs here for them, or uh, ask? Yeah, you can do you that. Want to take that. Yeah, go ahead. All right, Charles. Before we let you go here, uh, any uh, shout-outs you want to give, go ahead and tell fans of your radio uh, program that you got or, and how to follow you on social media. Okay. It's the Champ Racing Show, and Champ stands for Charles Head's American Motorsports Program. I, I started that acronym 30-some-odd years ago, and it has served me well. Uh, doesn't mean you got to be a champion to be on the show, but it kind of generally works that way. I have winners on each week from the various tracks. Uh, the Champ Show is on my personal Facebook page. That's Charles Head. Um, and you can catch that on Thursday nights. We're also on 99.3 FM. That's my country, 99.3, uh, in the metro Atlanta area. So you can pick us there, uh, up there on 100,000-watt FM station. Proud to be on that station now for 20-some years. Um, and uh, just thanks so much to everybody in the racing world for embracing uh, what I have to offer. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not special. I'm not any different than anybody else. It's just that people have been willing to invest their time in me, and I, I appreciate their um, their opportunities that they give me to do things. Well, we greatly appreciate you coming on here. I know uh, we could, uh, you just got in the car coming off the off of your radio show, so we appreciate you coming on here and talking a few more minutes. And I look forward to working with you again. I believe October uh, is when I'll be back over there at Livonia for the Ultimate Series. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. That'll be fun, Jay. Can't wait to work with you again. All right. Thank you, Charles. All right. Thanks so much, Sharon. Thank you as well. Thank you, Charles. And uh, we hope you'll come back and visit with us again. Sure. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> okay. All right. Charles Head, uh, race announcer and broadcaster and uh, the host of Champ Racing uh, Radio, or his show, does out there. Uh, he just completed that show and jumped right into our show, so uh, he's a busy man for sure. Well, and, and you could hear it in his voice. Obviously, that, that teacher was right. He had that voice for radio, loves what he does, that passion to be doing it that long and still doing uh, Friday and Saturday, as you mentioned. You know, it does take a, take a commitment, uh, and he's got it full bore. It was such an honor to work next to him. It really was. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on now. Uh, we need to move on to our update for the Camping World Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend. Uh, in fact, they're going to have a couple of weeks off. They'll be back for the Dead on Tools 200 at Darlington Raceway coming up on Friday, May the 6th. So uh, we'll have more information about that race uh, when we do the preview show for it. Uh, but we wanted to uh, just give you a couple of quick updates here uh, tonight. Uh, and, Jay, I'll let you get started with that. 
All right, well, we'll give a quick update on the Camping World Truck Series Sunoco rookies. Uh, the contenders have said six races to get a feel for what it's like to compete on the big stage. We've had super speedway short tracks and even a little dirt under our belts now. Right now, leading the points would be for the Rookie of the Year class, and that's the driver of the number 45 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet Lawless Allen. Uh, 22-year-old California native. Uh, I've seen firsthand how much of a roller coaster competing in the truck series can be. We've got three top 20 finishes and three outside the top 25. Though he's proven he has the skill to be successful in this series. At Coda, he raced his way to a season-best 11th place finish after starting 24th. He'll go into Darlington with 84 points, being 20 points up on second place Dean Thompson. And that's his teammate and fellow California native. Now, he's fighting his way to earn the rookie, honor, rookie honors this season. Currently, uh, I mentioned 20 points shy of Allen's 84. He's 20 years old, comes from Al- Anaheim, California. His best finish is 11th at Las Vegas after working up from 29th starting position. And he's been able to compete three of the six races, uh, having had brake issues at Daytona, a crash in Atlanta, and electrical issues at Martinsville. Most recently, he was 16th in that Bristol dirt race. And not far behind Thompson at 64 points, another California driver. That's Jack Wood with 62 points. He's a 21-year-old out of Loomis, California. He's behind the wheel of the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet and as well struggled to make it in the last lap uh, in his struggled to make it to the last lap in his races. He's had incidences at Daytona, Las Vegas, and Martinsville. Um, and a DVP in Austin for Coda, but he's hoping to turn his season around. The best finish so far this season, 13th place, was in Atlanta, and he finished 22nd this last weekend at Bristol. Now, I mentioned uh, Corey Heim for the ARCA series. He's a 19-year-old from Marietta, Georgia. He's uh, currently at 52 points. He drives the number 51 Cowboys Motorsports, only raced in two of the six truck series races but has already made his way to victory lane. He also had a crash in Daytona, where he came back then to win in Atlanta. Closing out the group of rookies, the number nine CR7 Motorsport Chevrolet is Blaine Perkins. Uh, 22-year-old is from Bakersfield, California. He's had his speed bumps through the season and not able to finish his races in Daytona, Vegas, and Austin due to various issues. Uh, He did not compete at Martinsville, and he closed out his Atlanta race at 29th and the Bristol race in 25th. Okay, now we'll talk about some of the racing that's uh, taken place in the truck series through six races so far this season. Uh, teams and competitors have really been putting on quite the show. Uh, there's been five different visitor, winners visiting Victory Lane so far. Uh, the action at the end of the series has also been amped up, if you will, um, with four of six events, concluding with a pass for the win with four laps or less left in the race. Three of the six Puck Series races this season have finished with a margin of victory of less than a second, and six of the races have produced an average margin of victory of 1.191 seconds, the closest since 2019 when that stat was at 0.859. Ninths of a second. 
In addition, the competition at the front of the pack has been action-packed. Through six races this season, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has seen 22 different drivers lead laps for an average of 7.33 liters per race. That's the most since 2008 when it was at 7.33. The great racing has been throughout the field as well. The first six races also produced 10,951 total green flag passes. That's the second most uh, since the stat was initially tabulated in 2007. Uh, That's only behind the 2020 season's 11,614 passes at this point of the season. So uh, a lot of great racing so far in this truck series. Uh, this season. When we have definitely seen the youth movement in effect here, very evident in the Camping World Truck Series. It's hard to argue that there is not the youth movement this season for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. The average age of the winners is a youthful 22.3, and the eldest driver to host a trophy this season so far was last weekend's Ben Rhodes at age 25. Now, five different drivers have visited Victory Lane on the year for the Camping World Truck Series, all being 25 or younger. We've got Ben Rhodes at 25, William Byron, 24, Zane Smith, 23, Corey Haim at 19, and then Chandler Smith, Chandler Smith at age 20. Now, Haim is the youngest driver to win this season at 19. The KBM driver won his first career Camping World Truck Series at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And it's not just the winners this season that are leaning on the younger side of the age spectrum. The top 10 in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver standings, that has an average of 26.5. And it ranges from 45-year-old veteran Matt Crafton all the way down to 19-year-old rising star Carson Hosovar. Okay, we're going to close out the truck series with uh, the defending champ, Ben Rhodes, getting his first win, locking himself into the playoffs this season. Uh, From Thorsport Racing, he made, I'm going to say, an amazing move in the closing laps of the truck series race at Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt. Uh, And he passed his uh, Amis Motorsports driver, Carson Hosovar, and slid into victory lane for the first time this season. Uh, I hated that for Carson Hosovar, but uh, it was an amazing move. Now with his ticket punched into the playoffs, the 2021 series champion can rest easy over the next two off weeks, knowing that he's taken the first big step in defending his title, becoming just the second driver all time uh, to become the second driver all time to win back-to-back championships. Now Matt Crafton won back-to-back uh, champions in championships in 13 and 14, and while the series prepares for the Lick Kick for Less dot com 200 at Darlington, uh, Rhodes uh, is uh, looking to widen his series point standings lead. Uh, right now, it's at 38 points over second place Chandler Smith. But what's more impressive has been his ability to run up front. He's collected five stage wins and five playoff points that go along with it. In six starts this season, he's posted one win at Bristol on dirt and five top fives, and his average finish this season so far is 7.5. 
with the series returning to action at Darlington on May 6th. Watch out for Rhodes. He's hoping to keep his momentum rolling. He's won at the historically famous egg-shaped track in 2020. So that's not good news for the uh, competition, Jay. No, it's not. And he showed he may not be a dirt regular, but he put a dirt track move on him there at Bristol. I'll say that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I can't believe we made it. Uh, (laughs) We're going to move on to the Xfinity Series preview of the Ag Pro 300 at Talladega Super this Saturday, April 23rd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse is $1,475,583. The race will be on Fox starting at 3 p.m. Eastern. And uh, radio coverage is available at MRN and QSXM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 25. Uh, After 25 more laps, Stage 2 will end on lap 50. And the last stage has 63 laps and ends on lap 113. What do we have in the Xfinity Series, Jen? Well, if you were excited to see Jeffrey Earnhardt drive the number three, there's more news to add to that. Larry McReynolds is going to be the crew chief for Jeffrey Earnhardt. Now, it was announced last week that Jeffrey Earnhardt, grandson of NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt, would pilot his grandfather's famed number three Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Leading Earnhardt and that number three team now will be Larry McReynolds, who finds his way back to the pit box, top of the pit box, after nearly 22 years. And this weekend will be his NASCAR Xfinity Series career debut. That, that sounds funny to say. <laughs> uh, it does. Prior to the weekend, uh, McReynolds has worked as a TV analyst most recently with Fox Sports. He served as crew chief in the NASCAR Cup Series from 1982 to 2000. He's worked with NASCAR Hall of Famer drivers like Mark Martin, Davey Allison, Dale Jarrett, and Dale Earnhardt. He's earned a career 23 victories in the Cup Series in his career, and probably the most well-known is his win with Dale Earnhardt in the 1998 Daytona 500 that ended a long-standing drought for the big event of the legendary driver. Well, uh, somebody else is making a debut this weekend at Talladega in the Xfinity Series, and that's Chandler Smith with Sam Hunt Racing. Uh, and they're taking uh, the Camping World Truck Series Championship contender Chandler Smith uh, to drive for three NASCAR Xfinity Series races this season. Smith is set to make his de- debut behind the wheel of the 26th Charge Me Toyota this weekend at Talladega. They'll also race at Dover Motor Speedway and Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, Though this weekend is Smith's first Xfinity Series uh, race, he's made two Camping World Truck Series starts at Talladega, and in those races he posted an average finish of 11.0. So he could be a contender this week. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, most certainly. Now, one thing, a uh, twist to Talladega, if, if it needs an extra twist, is that Dash for Cash continues. The NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program, which is designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during four designated races, increase on-track competition, 
and engage the fans and reward recognize the NASCAR Xfinity Series regular competitors. This year in the first Dash for Cash race was Richmond Raceway. Sam Mayer beat A.J. Allmendinger, Noah Gregson, and Austin Hill with his third-place third finish to take home the $100,000 bonus. And it was the first time he had won the Dash for Cash in his career. With the Dash for Cash win at Richmond, Mayer was once again eligible for the $100,000 at Martinsville Speedway along with Allmendinger, Riley Herbst, and then Richmond race winner Ty Gibbs. After a wild race that saw 16 cautions at Martinsville, it was A.J. Allmendinger, the highest finishing eligible driver, grabbing the $100,000 with his third-place finish. Now, going into Talladega, it'll be Allmendinger, Landon Castle, Brandon Jones, and Austin Hill, who will take their shot at the $100,000 Dash for Cash bonus. Allmendinger has had a few Xfinity Series stints in Talladega, but while he hasn't always had the best of luck, he did post a third-place finish last spring and a runner-up finish in Daytona earlier this year. Now, Castle has competed at Talladega in the Xfinity Series a total of six times, posting two top-ten finishes. And although Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender Austin Hill only has one Xfinity Series Talladega race under his belt, his win in Daytona earlier this year and runner-up his numerous top five finishes, uh, Daytona, Atlanta, Coda, and Martinsville, are a good indicator of his versatility. Uh, now, again, keep in mind, you don't have to win the race. It's just the best finish out of those four. So far, it's been third place, but I think we're going to need to look at a winner coming up. Yes, indeed. I'll tell you what, the competition is sure to heat up at Talladega. The historic 2.66-mile track has seen 26 Xfinity Series winners, but there are a few winners this weekend that have made a name for themselves in the last few seasons in Alabama. Brandon Brown's October Talladega win wasn't just a one-and-done. He's been progressively better over the last few years and has the stats to show for it. In 2019, he posted a 15th-place finish. 2020, he crossed the finish line in 11th place in the spring and ninth place in the fall. And last season, he posted top 10 finishes in both Talladega races. His success at Talladega is a testament to his skill on super speedways in general. And he's also posted top 10 finishes on two point, on the 2.5-mile Daytona Super Speedway since 2019. 2021 Xfinity Series champion Daniel Hemrick, he's looking for his first one of the season after posting a top five and three top ten Talladega might just be the place for that win to come. Last season, he posted 12th place finish in April and fourth place in October by playoff race. In 2021 season, he posted a top five finish in the October event. Jeff Burton, although not having the season he hoped for, he right now he's 16th in points. Uh, this weekend might turn things around uh, for this driver. That Conic Super Speedway has been good to the 29-year-old, our motorsports driver. He's making his first and only Xfinity Series career win last year in the Ad Pro 300. And like Brown, Burton also seems to have a knack for Super Speedways hosting two top five finishes last season at Daytona. So uh, some drivers to watch this weekend. And we're going to be watching them as they head to Alabama. It was an off-week break for them, 
but they'll be back in action, the Xfinity Series at Talladega Super Speedway for that AG Pro 300. That'll be Saturday, April 23rd, 4 p.m. Eastern. Coverage will be on Fox, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, the ninth race of the 2022 season. And now fans will be back at the 2.66-mile track after lasting Brandon Brown sealed the victory in the last eight laps after racing his way up from the 19th position in last year's race. In 32 NASCAR Xfinity Series races, at Talladega Super Speedway has produced 26 different winners and 21 different pole winners, uh, with Ernie Irvin winning the inaugural race on July 25, 1992. Martin Truex Jr. has the most Xfinity Series wins most Xfinity Series Talladega wins with three. He did it in 04, 05, and 06. But it is Joe Nemechek that holds the most series records at the 2.66-mile track. Uh, most races is at 22, holes at five, top fives, he's got seven, top tens, nine, lead lap finishes of 14, and laps completed, 2,153, as well as laps led at 202. Now, of the 26 no. different Xfinity Series winners at Talladega, we only have two entered this weekend. Uh, Sharon talked about Jeb Burton. He won in April of 2021. And then Brandon Brown in the fall race, October of 2021. Okay, we've got a lot to cover in the Cup Series, so we'll move right into it. The Geico 500 at Talladega Super Speedway is Sunday, April 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern. The purse here is $7,420,008. Uh, Fox will carry coverage starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be going a distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. Stage one and two are 60 laps apiece. Stage one ending on lap 60. Stage two on lap 120. The final stage will be 68 laps and ends on lap 188. We got some matchups well, here. We, yeah, we get to go back to the NASCAR Cup Series featured matchups for the 2022 Geico 500 Talladega Super Speedway. I'm going to scroll down to the bottom and look at our first one, and that would be the number nine of Chase Elliott versus the number 12 of Ryan Blaney. Elliott and Blaney have been two of the most consistent drivers in NASCAR in 2022. They sit first and second in points, respectively, headed into this weekend. Both drivers are former Talladega winners, Elliott won the spring race in 2019, while Blaney has collected two wins at the track in fall of 19 and the spring of 2020. Blaney has statistically been one of the best drivers in Talladega at Talladega in recent season. Since 2019, he has led the second most laps at the facility with 123. Our next matchup is uh, the number six of Brad Keselowski versus the 22 of Joey Logano. Keselowski and Logano are among the most decorated uh, drivers at Talladega in their long history. Keselowski has six wins at the facility, while Logano has three. Keselowski picked up his lone win in 2021 at Talladega in the spring race and led the most laps in this past February's Daytona 500 while having... Uh, appearing to have the best car in the field. 
Bad luck and the old-time moves late in the race cost him an elusive Daytona 500 win. Logano has led 150 laps at Talladega since 2019, and that ranks first across the Cup Series over that span. So a great matchup there between those two. The next matchup is between pseudo-teammates, the 23 Bubba Wallace racing for 2311 and the number 11 of Denny Hamlin. The master and the student square off this week as Denny Hamlin, historically one of NASCAR's best ever at Super Speedway, squares off in a matchup against Bubba Wallace, who's Hamlin's 23 racing protege and the most recent Talladega winner. Wallace has been among the sport's best on Super Speedways over the past year and a half. He collected his first NASCAR Cups win at the track last fall, and finished second in the past Daytona, February's Daytona 500. Now, Hamlin's super speedway resume requires no introduction. He's a three-time Daytona 500 winner and a two-time Talladega winner and is regularly listed as the betting favorite anytime NASCAR visits the super speedway. Both drivers will be looking for a rebound this weekend to counter their rough starts to the season. Well, Wallace and Hamlin sit 22nd and 23rd in points, respectively, as they head into Talladega. I love this next matchup as well. The number eight of Tyler Reddick versus the number 14 of Chase Bristol. Reddick and Bristol battled wheel-to-wheel for the win last Sunday at Bristol on Dirt, while with Bristol throwing a Hail Mary dive into the final corner that led to both drivers spinning and in turn, handing the win over to third-place uh, driver Kyle Busch. The two drivers shook hands and expressed no ill will after the race, but with how well each driver has run this season, it's likely that that will not be the last uh, win the two battle for before the season was over. Now, both drivers have had mixed results at Super Speedway so far in their short cup careers. Briscoe has a 12.5 average finish at Talladega across his cup career, while Reddick has an 18.3. Now, Briscoe was in contention to win at Daytona in February, the track that compares most closely to Talladega. Briscoe ran up front throughout the race and finished third. Reddick has a NASCAR Xfinity Series win at Talladega to his credit, which he picked up in the spring 2019 race driving for Richard Childress Racing. So we'll see how that all works out this weekend. Well, and even the Hollywood stars come out when we come to Talladega, Talladega, Alabama, as we got Alexander Skarsgård from the new film, The Northman, will be serving as the Grand Marshal at Dega. The Talladega Super Speedway announced this week that actor Alexander Skarsgård from the new action film, The Northman, this will serve as the Grand Marshal for Talladega Super Speedway's Geico 500 Sunday, April 24th. As part of his responsibilities, Skarsgård will give the command of driver start your engines for the Geico 500. His focus features will release the, the Northman two days before. That will be Friday, April 22nd. It comes from visionary director Robert Eggers. The Northman is an action-filled film that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Uh, seen a lot of previews for this. Looks like a really good movie. Yeah, I've seen it too. Okay. 
Uh, next step, we'll talk about the Sunoco Rookie uh, Spotlight. Cinder continues to hold serve in the rookie standings with nine races under their belts. The 2022 Sunoco Rookie of the Year class has now competed in every type of track, and now they face the season uh, this season through it all. Team Pinsky's Austin Sindrick still holds the standings lead, in large part due to the season-opening Daytona 500 win. Sindrick earned 222 points and holds a sizable 90-point lead in the rookie standings over Front Row Motorsports' Todd Gilliland in second and a 95-point edge over Wood Brother Racing's Harrison Burton, who sits in third. Of the three, only Burton has made a Cup Series start at Talladega, making his serious career debut at the track just last season. He started 39th and finished 20th. Cindric and Gilliland are making their track debuts this weekend. If Austin Cindric wins this weekend at Talladega, he will become the seventh driver in the modern era from 72 to the present to win the Daytona 500 and the spring race at Talladega Super Speedway in the same season. Young Jimmy Johnson in 2006, he would join Jimmy Johnson in 2000, who did it in 2006, and Jeff Gordon in 2005, Davey Allison in 1992, Billy Elliott did it in 85, K.O. Yarborough did it in 84, Buddy Baker going all the way back to 1980. No driver has won all four super speedway races at Daytona and Talladega in a single season. The closest driver to do that uh, was NASCAR Hall of Famer, who won three of the four races um, in 1990. Derek Cope uh, won the Daytona 500 in 1990. So... Uh, Pretty, pretty amazing stat there uh, for the Sunoco Rookie of the Years and what their stats are so far this season. Well, not only for the rookies, but the path to the top five in points has been uh, quite different for some. When we look at the NASCAR Cup Series 2022 driver point standings following Bristol Motor Speedway uh, on dirt, we have Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott continuing to hold the standings lead by three points now over Team Penske's Ryan Blaney, followed by Joey Logano at minus 21, William Byron at minus 29, and then Alex Bowman at minus 51. All five drivers in the top five in points have taken quite different paths to make it to their current spot, though, in the Cup Series points so early in the season. Impressively, all five have earned their way into the top five over the course of the first nine races of the season. None started the season ranked higher than six following the season opener, Daytona. Of the drivers currently in the NASCAR Cup Series top five of the driver's standings, Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron, he had to climb the biggest points in deficit to earn his current position. Following Daytona, Byron was mired back in points and ranked 35th since then byron has rallied off two wins which came in atlanta and martinsville which is a series high for 2022 and he's scaling the standings up as high as third and currently now resides in fourth 
looking to this weekend. Byron is looking for his second super speedway win. His first came at Daytona in 2020. The Charlotte, North Carolina native has made eight starts at Talladega. He's posted two top fives. His average finish at Talladega, though, is 19.5. He finished runner-up in the event, though, last season. And Byron's Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Alex Bowman, made the biggest jump in points following a single event this season of the drivers in the top five in points as he advanced 17 positions following his win at Las Vegas from 23rd to 8th. And since the victory, uh, Bowman is able to maintain his position and move up to 5th in the standings. And this weekend at Talladega, Bowman will be looking to rebound from his performance at the 2.66-mile track last season where he finished 38th in both races. A points leader, Chase Elliott, is the only one of the five still looking for his first win of 2022. Uh, the Dawsonville, okay. Georgia native has made... Okay, uh, points leader, Chase Elliott, the only other, one of the five still looking for their first win of 2022. The Dawsonville, Georgia native has made 12 starts at Talladega, posting one win of 2019, four top fives and five top tens. I just wanted to say I don't think that's right because I don't think Blaney or Logano have a points win yet either. Okay. Well, we'll have to look into that. We'll probably have to do Reader's Digest version going forward because we've got less than 10 minutes to get the rest of all of this in, and there's still a ton of information here. Okay. Um, let's go to Team Penske. Could be the organization to beat this weekend at Talladega. Over the past 13 Cup Series races at the track, no organization has been stronger than Team Penske. They posted eight wins during that span. Keselowski has three, Joey Logano has three, and Ryan Blaney has two wins. Uh, and looking to this weekend, Snoko rookie Austin Sindrick uh, is the Daytona 500 champion and is making his series track debut at Talladega. Logano's made 26 starts at the track, posting three wins and nine top fives and 11 top tens. Ryan Blaney's made 15 starts at Talladega with two wins, three top fives, and five top tens. We talked about 2311's Bubba Wallace getting his first victory um, and the organization's first in the Cup Series. <laughs> with his win at October's Talladega Super Speedway race. He was the 12th driver to win his first career win at the behemoth 2.66-mile Super Speedway, joining active drivers Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who did it in 2017, as well as Brad Keselowski in 2009. Other drivers on that list, Brian Vickers, Ken Schrader, Phil Parsons, Davey Allison, Bobby Hillen Jr., Ron Bouchard, Lenny Pond, Dick Brooks, and Richard Brickhouse. Okay. Also, uh, Kings of Dega and Daytona. I lost one of my uh, earphones here, so I was looking for that, but uh, I think you can still hear me. Is that right, Jay? Yeah, we're good. Okay. The art of drafting on tracks like Daytona and Talladega is a skill not every driver can master, but for the ones that learn how to manipulate the air to their benefit at nearly 200 miles per hour, uh, they found the spoils of victory lane in some of the Cup Series uh, biggest events. No driver's been more successful in those points races 
at both Daytona and Talladega then NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt with 13 combined victories. Uh, 10 wins at Talladega, 83, 84, 90, 91, 93, 94, 99 sweep, and uh, 2,003 wins at Daytona in 90, 93, and 98. In total, 87 different drivers visited Victory Lane at Daytona and Talladega in the Cup Series, and this weekend at the Super Speedway. Ten active drivers have won at the big track, and 17 have either won at Daytona or Talladega. Team Penske's Brad Keselowski with six victories uh, leads all the active drivers with Talladega wins. Uh, he's followed by Denny Hamlin with five, Joey Logano with four, Ryan Blaney and Kevin Harvick with three, Ricky Stenhouse, Sarah Camarola, and Kyle Busch with two. And those drivers with one victory at one or the other track includes Austin Sindrick, Bubba Wallace, Michael McDowell, William Byron, Justin Haley, Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, and Eric Jones, along with Kurt Busch. Okay. Moving up to Dega. Oh, am I on me? No, I'm good. Uh, Dega doesn't disappoint. It's known as one of the most competitive tracks on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. The 2.66-mile super speedway is the perfect stage for the wild side-by-side action NASCAR's fans love. And this weekend's Geico 500 uh, expected to produce just that. Talladega Super Speedway holds the all-time record in green flag passes for the lead in a single NASCAR Cup Series race with 219 Green flag passes for the lead, which was set on October 20th, 2013. It also holds the record all-time in green flag passes in a single Cup Series event with 23,765 throughout the field, set also on October 20th of 2013. Last year, Talladega was the class of the field in passing. The Cup Series playoff race in October produced 123 green flag passes for the lead, most in a single event during the 2021 season, followed by Daytona International Speedway's regular season finale with 121. Talladega won the first race, had 80, Las Vegas 56, and the Daytona 500 had 45. On April of 2021, Talladega Cup Series race produced the most total green flag passes through the field in that single event in 2021 with 9,738. And that followed Daytona's second race with 9,097. The second race at Talladega was 8,852. Las Vegas had 4,057. And the Indianapolis Road Course had 3,744. Okay. Next up, uh, we've got uh, the Wild Card Watch. Talladega Super Speedway offers a big opportunity to play off-seeking competitors. Now, eight different winners in nine races to start this season, and this weekend's Geico 500 serves up a platter of opportunity for the ninth different winner to pull into victory lane and secure their spot into the playoffs. Uh, Construction began on what is then known as Alabama International Motor Speedway on May 23rd of 68. The first Cup Series race at Talladega was held September 14th to 69, and the event was run by Richard Brickhouse from Rocky Point, North Carolina, driving a Dodge for 
for car owner Ray Michelle. The average speed of the first race at the 2.66-mile track was 153,778 miles per hour. The name... Uh, the name of the facility changed to Talladega Super Speedway in 89, and the surface underwent its fourth repaving in September 19th of 2006. In total, there have been 105 Cup Series races at Talladega, one series event in 69, and two races per year uh, since 1970. There have been a, 44 different drivers that have won at least one pole, at Talladega Super Speedway in the Cup Series. 23 of the pole winners have won more than one. Six of the 44 Talladega Cup Series pole winners are active this weekend. The Bushlight Pole qualifying is scheduled for Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Active drivers that have been pole winners, uh, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick have two. Austin Dillon, Kurt Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. each have one. In total, 15 of the 105, 14.3% uh, of Cup Series races at Talladega Super Speedway have been won from the pole or the first starting position. The most recent to accomplish that feat is Benny Hamlin, who did it in October of 2020. But the outside front row second place starting position is the most proficient starting spot in the field, producing more winners, a total of 20, than any other starting spot at Talladega. That's 19.5%. 105 Cup Series races at Talladega have also produced a total of 50 different race winners. 25 of the 50 have won multiple times at the track. And this weekend, 10 of the 50 Cup Series winners are entered in the event. Uh, again, Brad Keselowski with six, Joy Logano with three, Ryan Blaney and Denny Hamlin with two apiece, Bubba Wallace, Chase Elliott, Eric Almarola, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch all have one. NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt, of course, leads wins at Talladega Super Speedway with 10. Brad Keselowski um, has the six victories, including taking the checkered flag in this race just last season. And this Sunday's Geico 500 uh, is going to be 188 laps, 500 miles, broken up into the three stages. So uh, definitely looking forward to those races this weekend. We are already past the top of the hour, and it is now time for us to go into our NASCAR Hot Topic Soundup. And joining us for tonight's uh, discussion includes Andy Lasky. Welcome to the – no, Andy's not here yet. Uh, let me go to Mike Marzell. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, I am here. Good to be back on the show. It's good to have you here. Uh, Andy is going to be joining us, so we'll bring him into the queue when he arrives. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Mike, what's our first topic tonight? Well, we didn't get to it on uh, Monday's show because we were so busy talking about the Bristol Dirt Race, but North Wilkesboro Speedway had a big announcement this past weekend about uh, they're calling it a, a, re a revival, a revitalization. Basically, North Wilkesboro is back. Don't get too excited. They're not bringing in any of the big three NASCAR touring series, at least not yet. But uh, they are looking to hold – 
some short track weight model and uh, modified type races at uh, that local touring level kind of racing uh, on the old asphalt starting later this year. And then they're going to tear up that asphalt. They're going to run some dirt races on the bare dirt surface where the asphalt used to be. And then they're going to repave North, North Wilkesboro Speedway after that. No word on if there's going to be any increased presence after the repave from either the Arkham Menard series or any of the higher truck Xfinity or NASCAR Cup series. It's going to take more than just a repave of the Speedway surface to get them ready for NASCAR Cup Series racing. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But it is exciting news to see that North Wilkesboro may be back soon. Yes, indeed. Jay, your thoughts about North Wilkesboro? As a, as a facility, I am great to see it be back being utilized as a racetrack. Uh, the thought that went into this as Mike mentioned, right now they're going to run on the asphalt. They've got tear it up, run some on dirt, and then repave it. Uh, that thought process and plan to me is just outstanding. I mean, to to have run it through and thought that through to that extent um, is phenomenal to me. I think they can do some big things with it. What we see in the future, uh, again, there's a reason that the Cup Series uh, stopped running there. Xfinity or trucks, maybe. I think ARCA would be a good fit depending on their schedule, but we'll have to see. But I am excited to, to just to see that they are racing at it again. And like I said, the thought process they put through in how they're going to do the repave and utilizing it uh, to its maximum during that time frame, I think was outstanding. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, this is the track that has been requested so many times uh, for racing. Uh, it's been closed. Uh, there has been a revival to get that track back in action, and it sounds like this is the year uh, that we will see local short track racing at North Wilkesboro Speedway. So uh, I'm very excited about that. We've put a lot of focus on short track racing uh, this season. Uh, all across the country, and uh, we will have to add North Wilkesboro Speedway on our list of tracks to talk about. Uh, I can't wait for that first race to take place uh, and to watch it because now we have so many streaming services that we can catch some of those races, and I hope they include the Speedway either on Flow Racing or Racing America or Mad TV or somewhere where we can watch these races uh, throughout the season. Uh, and, and it sounds like uh, there's a lot to do before they can uh, entertain the idea of bringing NASCAR uh, to North Wilkesboro. But uh, race fans will really enjoy the racing that they see at that track, whether it's on asphalt or dirt or however they uh, repave it. Uh, I, I am definitely looking forward to uh, the evolution uh, or the re-evolution of North North Wilkesboro Speedway. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, we knew something was coming with North Wilkesboro Speedway. Remember we were talking about last year, the North Carolina state uh, government has allocated, I believe it was $20 million to North Wilkesboro Speedway to improve 
the water, sewage, and sanitation systems at the facility. Obviously, they wouldn't have, have allocated that much money to a facility that was going to remain dormant. We knew something was coming for North, for North Wilkes for a Speedway. It's great to see that they've got something on the calendar and the track is trying to make a comeback. Now, that doesn't mean that they're on the road back to having a NASCAR Cup Series race. There's, it's going to be a long way to go from there. They need more than just fresh asphalt on North Wilkesboro Speedway to be a suitable facility for any of the big three NASCAR Touring Series and probably even the Arkham Menard Series. Um, the Speedway doesn't have safer barriers. The grandstands, I haven't been in them personally, but all the pictures and videos I've seen, they are in a substantial state of disrepair. I don't know how much of it would be salvageable and how much of it would need to be completely torn down and replaced. Same thing for the press boxes, the garages. All the facilities at North Wilkesboro are in need of either substantial refurbishment or replacement before you can bring a NASCAR Cup Series race out there. So it's going to be, even if, this current revival attempt, which, remember, they tried to bring it back in 2010. They had some racing there in 2010, and it didn't really go anywhere. So if this current revival works out the way they hope it will and the way I hope it will, uh, it's going to take some serious additional investment to bring North Wilkesboro to a standard that will attract the NASCAR Cup Series eventually. How can you get North Wilkesboro Speedway to that standard? The best way to do it is support it yourself. If you live in the and within reasonable distance from North Wilkesboro Speedway, buy a ticket, go to the races, show them that you are interested in seeing racing at North Wilkesboro Speedway. If you're out of range for it, like uh, like you said, Sharon, watch the races. I haven't seen any broadcast schedule of who is going to be carrying any of the racing at North Wilkesboro, whether it be um, broadcast TV, maybe Mav TV, Flow Racing, something. If it's within your capacity to do so. Watch the racing at North Wilkesboro Speedway. And if that's not an option, go to their website and buy a T-shirt, something. Complaining about we want North Wilkesboro Speedway back on Twitter and other social media doesn't bring North Wilkesboro back. But spending your money to support that Speedway and show that you're interested in racing at North Wilkesboro Speedway, that is what will bring that racetrack back. And hopefully we see NASCAR Cup Series racing back at that facility sometime within well, our lifetimes, maybe by the end of the decade, would be great. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on the cup level. As far as Xfinity trucks, Arkham Menards, uh, especially the Arkham Menards E-Series, I think there are some greatly doable things. And I know Quentin messaged me earlier. Let me find where he brought up. Um, and I hadn't seen this, but Junior announced he will be running at least one race along with Josh Berry and Carson Cavapel uh, running every week when they, when they reopen. Um, so that's something that goes with what Mike was saying. Getting some names there, obviously going to help Dale Junior, uh, obviously at the top of that list. And I know Marcus Smith actually gave some credit to Junior kind of being behind this when they did the I don't know what they call it, videography of it for iRacing, because it is on iRacing, um, when Junior wanted it on the schedule for iRacing. So, you know, he has a big, big part in it. Um, but like Mike said, I think Iowa Speedway, you can look at Chicagoland, you have to support the track. In return, Road America came back, they packed the place out. So for it to be viable and continue to grow and even have that possibility of a top three event, Yes, the fans are going to have to support it. And I also think this ones like this, 
and I know I go back to, I think we kind of had this discussion, taking this backwards, uh, as Richard Petty and Kyle Bush were saying, when it comes to dirt, this is, but it can be managed. I don't think it's a bad thing either. It, if I were involved in the scheduling, to me, that is one that you could have as a midweek race because it's a smaller track. You're primarily only going to pull your local, uh, relatively local crowd. But if you were to do that one as a midweek race, the the teams don't have that far to travel. You can fill up what capacity is right now based off of a local poll or some that may still travel from out of town. I'm not saying they wouldn't come. But I think that is one that is a great one to look at doing a midweek race at. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I, there's a lot of work to be done before you can even think about bringing in uh, NASCAR's top three. Uh, and and the local support is what's going to make all the difference in the world uh, as to whether things are going to work out at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Uh, I think that they've done a lot of uh, research and studying about what has to happen at North Wilkesboro in order for them to take the steps that they're taking right now. Uh, but part of it has to do with the infrastructure and the logistics um, of not just the racetrack, but the community surrounding the racetrack. There has to be places for people to stay. There has to be places for people to eat. Um, and, and all of that infrastructure has to be built up around that community in order uh, to make it a viable option for any of NASCAR's top three. So we're talking years down the road here uh, before that's going to happen. But there is so much that the local community can do, uh, and not just the local community, but the surrounding communities as well, to support this track. And, and Mike, you brought up so many different ways uh, that, of how people can do that by buying a T-shirt, uh, by going to the racetrack, by watching on Flow Sport Racing or wherever the streaming service is going to be for North Wilkesboro. Um, People need to really do that. And you've got drivers that are supporting it. When you're talking about a driver, the status of uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wanting to race at that track or Josh Berry uh, wanting to race at that track, those things are going to happen. They're going to come out to these short tracks, and they're going to participate in it. Uh, So I see NASCAR, the drivers, um, the community, everybody's trying to do their part to make this happen, but the fans have to do their part as well. Uh, and, Mike, you made a great case for that. Um, uh, and then uh, the building. Uh, and that's why I talked about this being kind of a re-evolution. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process. So step-by-step, um, you know, fans need, just need to do their part. Uh, to kind of keep the motivation for this evolution to continue to uh, go in a positive direction. So I think it's going to happen. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on it as uh, we progress. Uh, And, Mike, I'm going to give you kind of the last word on this one uh, because I think we're all kind of in the same vein, if you will. Yeah, if there's ever been violent agreement on this radio show, it really sounds like we got it right here. Uh, All of us want to see North Wilkesboro back. We want to see North Wilkesboro be successful 
and maybe, just maybe, make it back to the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. So hopefully that is something that we can look forward to, and probably not the near future, but the not-too-distant future would be great to see it back there. Um, So, again, big sales pitch. If it's within your capacity to do so, support the racing at North Wilkesboro later this year and into 2023. Do what you can to show NASCAR that you really want them to keep this place going, make it better, renovate it, and – it's not going to be – it's not really a, a step into the past as so much as it is bringing our heritage back into the modern era. So bring North Wilkesboro back as a modern, state-of-the-art facility built on one of the most historic tracks in NASCAR, and that really sounds like a recipe for success. We've got a long road to get there, but the first steps down that road really look like they've been taken, and it's great to see. It definitely is. Okay, Jay, you're up. What's our next hot topic? I kind of like the three format, to tell you the truth. We seem to get through these hot topics a lot quicker. Well, it, dep- it depends on how, how uh, vocal we are on each of them. But, yeah, um, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Dale Jr., we got him coming back for the Talladega race. Well, where did we have it here? Here we go. Uh, Dale Jr. will be in the booth for Talladega. Um, deal was worked out. Uh, he is an NBC sports broadcaster, but doing this with Fox Sports, so he will be there in the booth at Talladega. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about Dale Jr. in the booth? Well, I really have enjoyed Fox's rotating guest announcer that they've done over the course of the season. We've had some really great ones in there. Uh, we've also had some Eh, not so great ones, but at least it gives us some variety week to week. And I can't think of too many better guys to put in the booth for a Talladega race than Dale Earnhardt Jr. I was surprised to see him on the list because, like Jay mentioned, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is property of NBC Sports. He's a regular uh, on-the-air personality for NBC. Uh, They don't directly compete with Fox, obviously, because they have different time slots throughout the year for NASCAR racing. But – they, they both have their discrete broadcast team that is part of their, their employee base, and Dale Earnhardt belongs to NBC. And supposedly the way that this bridge kind of got built was through the joint promotion of the new USFL Football League. Remember, Fox has been advertising it heavily, in, both in terms of commercials between commercial breaks in the races, as well as on-air plugs from Mike Joy, to watch that USFL and that's a bit of a joint venture between Fox and NBC. So I think the promotion of the USFL on Fox was a bit of a, uh, a paying, I don't know if I say payment, but kind of a quid pro quo as far as Fox plugs the USFL because NBC is going to benefit. Fox gets to borrow Dale Earnhardt Jr. from NBC for the Talladega race. So it sounds like everybody's a winner here. It definitely does, and uh, I'm just going to read Tommy's comment because she posted it in our uh, in our uh, chat room here. I think Junior does a great job in the booth. I also think it's imperative that he remains a broadcaster for NASCAR, even after retiring. He's probably still gets he's probably still the biggest name out there, and I, I have to agree with that. Um, and and Mike, you brought up all the reasons for why. Uh, this arrangement works at this particular point in time. But, you know, I I read something somewhere where the NBC broadcasters are really jealous 
of the Fox broadcasters because they get to uh, cover the Daytona 500. And uh, I think Talladega Spring Race is another one of those uh, races that a lot of them are a little bit jealous about uh, because Talladega is such a big race as well. Uh, And I can't think of a better uh, announcer to have in the booth than Dale Earnhardt Jr. uh, for a Talladega race. So I think this is an awesome matchup. I'm glad it all worked out for whatever the reason is. Uh, And I'm thankful that NBC was willing uh, to uh, loan out, if you will, Dale Earnhardt Jr. to Fox uh, for a Talladega event. Uh, So I I think this is a great move. I can't wait to hear him. I think Dale Jr. also does a fabulous job in the booth. And uh, he has so such a uh, unique perspective from any other uh, race announcer that uh, I think he's going to add a lot to the booth at Talladega. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a win-win across the board. And I think what you might kind of alluded to it with the, uh, with the USFL, it's the same to NASCAR. Although they're uh, covering separate half of the uh, season – They are two separate companies, but they're not going head-to-head. And ultimately, in order to be successful, NASCAR has to be successful. So if that means, you know, the first half of the season that NBC Sports borrows Junior there and helps it be successful so that the fans come back for the second half of the season, if you will. So uh, there is just upside. I like to see the fact that these partners work together for the full benefit of the sport i mean because like i said that's ultimately the the final outcome is that the benefit and the success of the sport is what both of them need and to work together for that uh, we've talked about it whether it be different tracks working together different teams working together borrowing drivers to from ford to chevrolet or something if it benefits the sport it benefits everybody and pairing junior up at talladega you know, I know, Mike, uh, we talked about this with Bristol having DW be the one at Bristol. You know, that pairing of a, that kind of driver to that track just makes sense. And, and Junior, I think, is one you mentioned, absolutely a great broadcaster. And the, what he brings as far as star power and following, all but upside. Hey, Mike, your follow-up. Jay, you really nailed it with the star power and following. There's really no bigger name in NASCAR, or at least alive right now, other than Dale Earnhardt Jr. He is the name in NASCAR. Probably the only bigger name in NASCAR is also named Dale Earnhardt, but he's not with us anymore. So having Dale Earnhardt Jr. attached to, well, in this case, the Talladega broadcast, but like you mentioned in the previous topic, also attached to the North Wilkesboro Speedway Racing, Anything that Dale Jr. touches is going to bring attention. He's got an extremely passionate and loyal fan base. Tommy's one of them for sure, which is why I'm surprised he didn't bring it up on Monday's show. But uh, anything that Dale Earnhardt Jr. goes and does, he's going to get attention for. And one of my one of my favorite Dale Earnhardt Jr. moments, just talking about the star power that he has, um, when I was watching the Rolex 24, obviously NBC covers that. They've got a different broadcast team, at least a core broadcast team, that covers the Rolex 24, but they also had Dale Earnhardt Jr. in there for some of the segments. And they were bringing in some of these IMSA drivers. I think he was sitting on a peacock pit box at that point. 
and they are bringing in some of these IMSA drivers, and they're and Dale Earnhardt's there talking to them, and you could just see these IMSA drivers are starstruck. Oh my God, I'm talking to Dale Earnhardt Jr. So there's that that's kind of the the star power that Dale Jr. brings. So having him along with Fox Sports this weekend at Talladega, nothing but upside. This is the only negative for me going to the race this weekend, really, is I'm not going to watch the Fox broadcast with Dale Jr. because I'm going to be sitting live at the racetrack. So I'm actually going to miss it. Y'all are going to have to fill me in and let me know how well Dale Jr. did. Um, I don't regret it. I'm not going to cancel my tickets and and sit at home. But I do kind of wish that I could see them both at once. Check the DVR, Mike. Yeah, I'm going to end up having to do that, I think. Okay. Yeah, uh, you guys have really nailed it all the way across the board. What is up with this? We are all in major agreement here. Um, <laughs> I uh, I like it. Uh, we've got uh, a lot to look forward to with this Talladega race this weekend, having Dale Jr. in the booth, along with the other. And, and let me just echo the sentiment that we like the rotating guests. Uh, that are supporting the Fox broadcast. Uh, it would be so cool if they were able to do this with some of the other uh, NBC broadcasters. I know Andy would agree with me, uh, I think. Uh, we are both Jeff Burton fans. Uh, so, you know, I'd love to see Jeff Burton uh, on loan to Fox as well and see how that works out. But uh, Dale Jr. is definitely the name. And uh, I'm excited to to watch uh, the broadcast this weekend. And I I don't know if he has anything to do with the uh, pre-race festivities at Fox, but it would be really cool to see him involved with that as well. Uh, And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'd love to see it. Uh, Jay, you get the final word. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all develops down the road. Uh, you know, I know Fox kind of got put in a situation to make this happen this year, um, but we'll see how this changes what they do going forward as well as possibly NBC. And, and like I said, I think both of them working together for the best outcome for all of NASCAR coverage, the success of the sport is the most important and vital. You know, I know we, that NBC can't really do anything in retrospect other than on, I guess they still can for some advertising on, on their uh, channels during the Fox portion of the season. But Fox kind of has that to start with, uh, set up, uh, mentioned with the USFL. Uh, it's starting on Fox, but it's going to carry over into NBC. So maybe this is their way of saying thank you for that by, by allowing Junior to come over. But overall, just a great, great thing for the entire sport as a whole, I view. Sharon, you still there? I'm sorry, I Am was I on still mute. There? Okay. Yeah, you're still here. Uh, I was on mute. My apologies. Mike, you get to bring up the next hot topic. Sure. This is going to be a follow-up to what we discussed at length on Monday. But Adam Stern reported that uh, Fox earned a 4.007 million viewers for Sunday night's Bristol race. To put that in context, that is the most NASCAR or most watched NASCAR event of any kind at Bristol Motor Speedway since spring 2006. And 
He didn't say it was the most watched spring race. He said it was the most watched NASCAR event of any kind at Bristol Motor Speedway. So the spring dirt race apparently outperformed the fall Bristol night race. And uh, in a separate topic, apparently the Bristol truck race was the most watched truck series race ever. Needless to say, shortly thereafter, Bristol Motor Speedway confirmed they will be running on dirt again for 2023. <laughs> okay, Jay, your your comment. Well, that whole uh, the whole thing of us all agreeing on this, I think that might end here. We'll have to see, but <laughs> kind of felt like this was coming. I mean, first from the aspect of you got to give some time to develop. I'm on it from last year to this year. Three or f- three to five years is kind of what you would think of really getting a feel for if it's working or not. The numbers don't lie. Uh, You know, again, I have a personal opinion on it and and really enjoyed it. Amanda watched it. That's probably the one uh, one of three races she's watched this year because it was dirt and it lived up to what it was supposed to be. Uh, Sharon and I talked about it when we talked about Ben Rhodes and the truck race. I mean, that was a dirt track move, and it came from a non-regular dirt track driver. Uh, You know, we saw what happened on dirt. Sometimes you make a move and it don't work. We saw that at the end of the cup race, so... Yeah, all in all, uh, I just didn't see it not happening at least for a couple more years. Uh, you know, Sharon mentioned it the other night. You're going to put that kind of investment into this. It's not going to be for a one-time deal. So I, I think, again, improvements can be made. Uh, you know, Mike and I talked about that. There are definitely still some things that can be approved upon um, when it comes to those first races, the grills getting overheated and everything else. But that's that's part of the evolution. You know, you, you build on it. You can't just try it one time and say, oh, it didn't work and go on. you got to try and fix it or improve it. So uh, I see it getting, getting even bigger, truthfully. Um, some of the names we've seen, we've seen that of – it used to be road course ringers that would come in. We've seen some dirt track ones um, get some starts. In personal opinion, got to see Mike Marler in the truck series. We've seen him run that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some others. Um, and that's throughout all the truck races that have been done, both at uh, Eldora, Knoxville, and now Bristol. I know for the street stocks, one of the guys that was here, that was the most fun he had had at a dirt track in a long time. Um, so I think that whole program there, what they do around that, uh, mentioned it's not just the NASCAR uh, dirt races. They have two months' worth of stuff that goes on there, I think, Um varying from the street stocks and factory stocks to the World of Outlaws and Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series, and then the, Xfinity, or the trucks and the cups. So I think it's going to continue to build. Okay. Real quick before I get into my comments, I'm going to make an announcement to our first-time listeners. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, we just want to let you know we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but we are going to continue to record the rest of our conversation, and we want to make sure you know how you can hear the rest of that conversation. Um, we're, when we get finished uh, with our Hot Topic conversation, I'll go out on Twitter to let you know that our podcast is now available. We have a player up at com. You go to that player and just fast forward to the two-hour mark, and then you can hear the rest of our conversation. 
So uh, we didn't want anybody be, to be taken off guard uh, when we go off air and we're still talking. And uh, you're sitting there wondering, now how do I hear the rest of this? So uh, that's why we make this announcement every week at this time. And uh, I'm going to go into my comments now. Um, yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement, Jay. I think that this is an evolution uh, I know that there's a handful of drivers that are not happy with the dirt racing. Um, and I do think that uh, I understand where they're coming from. They're frustrated. There's a lot that some of these drivers are dealing with with the new car, uh, changes to the schedule, and NASCAR trying to do some things to attract the fans. And that's what this is all about. What are they going to do to attract fans? and get more people into the stands uh, for a lot of these races. Uh, I heard a lot of people on SiriusXM talking about how great the racing was at the Bristol Dirt Race. They loved it. They talked about how many – they hadn't seen so many people in the stands for such a long time, and they were happy with the attendance. People sitting at home – had a different perspective, it seems like. When you're watching it from home, it's funny how it happens, but you get a different view of what's actually happening at the track when you're watching it on TV versus being at the track. And I definitely saw that divergence uh, between the fans at home commenting on Twitter and the people who are at the track watching the race. and and I think that um, – and I said this Monday night, I'm gonna, I, I think it's worth saying it once again. I do think that some of the drivers that are complaining about it right now um, will find that as they develop their skills on dirt with these cars, everybody's dealing with the same thing. As they develop their skills as they did in road course racing, uh, I think that they're, they will kind of change their perspective of uh, racing on dirt. It's not going backwards. This is what fans have been asking for for a long, long time. And NASCAR has found a way to make it happen. And um, the fans are responding. Uh, they're coming to the track, and they're watching these races, and they are loving it. So I think NASCAR made a good decision. Uh, I wasn't too sure about it either. I was worried about the banking of the track. I was worried about a lot of different things. But NASCAR is learning every time they, they go through this. They're learning how what they need to do to make it even a little bit better, not just for the fans, not just for the track, but for the drivers as well. And drivers just need to be looking for solutions, um, to what it is that's bothering them about racing on the dirt and coming up with different ideas to make it better. So uh, as long as everybody's kind of in the same um, uh, head space on that, I think that's a good thing. If, if you've got people who are resisting it, uh, those are the ones that it's going to take the longest for them to make that adapting to the changing of times here. And, um, I do think that uh, NASCAR is working to get everybody in that same headspace. So, Michael, I'm looking forward to your thoughts. I know I was kind of down on the Bristol Dirt Race on Monday and prior to the race as well. I was uh, I was 
for lack of a better word, I was a little negative on it. And to be honest, if they had said we're not doing it again and that you're going to be back on concrete, I probably wouldn't have shed a tear either. But we spent a lot of time earlier in this segment talking about how fan support is so important and getting out there and supporting your track. Well, that Bristol Spring Race was failing because the fans weren't supporting it. They weren't showing up to buy tickets. They weren't watching it on TV. Fans are now tuning in to, t- uh, to watch on TV and showing up in person to support the Bristol Dirt Race, and I can't help but say that's a good thing. So if that's what fans want to see, well, let's give the fans what they want. There's been a little bit too much. Uh, we know what's good for you coming from NASCAR for over the past about 15 to 20 years. So this change of pace that they've had over the past about three to five years where they're listening to the fans and they're trying things that fans want to see and they find stuff that works out, that's great to see. I'd like to see more of it. So as much as I said I wouldn't shed a tear if Bristol Dirt was gone, I'm kind of glad it's coming back if it's something that the fans want to see and it's going to benefit the sport to have it. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. The biggest key thing here I think they got to look at is to not go overboard. Um, and Dave Moody even talked about this. He didn't think the Cub Series should host a dirt race because it was something that was unique to the Truck Series. I think one, maybe up to three, absolutely no more than three. Yes, I'm one that, and we talked about this, we'd like to see it at a regular dirt track such as Eldora. I don't even know if Knoxville would be able to handle the Cup Series the Charlotte dirt track, maybe. Um, So those are some things to maybe look at um, if you were to add a second one, but don't go overboard. We've seen that with night racing back. uh, I don't even want to say how many years now uh, uh, of when they went to night racing, everybody wanted to have a night race. Well, that no longer makes it special. That no longer makes it unique and doesn't draw the crowd road course racing. We're up to seven. Now. I think we went a little overboard with that. But they're making it work. That would be my only concern is don't try and do it. Kind of like the Roval or uh, Roval, too. Charlotte did it. All of a sudden, Daytona did it. All of a sudden, Indy was doing it. You don't want to ruin a good thing. So I think that once a year, if it's on Bristol, if they can come up with a different place or add a second race, I think that would be good. But don't take it any further. Continue to improve on the one you've got. And, and like I said, uh coming from one that works dirt tracks to see the improvements they made from last year to this year. The first one to me was a given go to a night race. I mean, dirt track racing is a night race period um, for the reasons we saw last year. And we saw still saw it a little bit in practice uh, and qualifying in those first couple races, but those are things that can be worked around. And I think NASCAR will find a way to improve it even more. So I'm excited about the future. I see, I see it lasting, like I said, at least five years, um, and then maybe, maybe trying something uh, different or going back to the concrete. But I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think that uh, uh, it, it, that's one of the things that uh, NASCAR has a tendency to do. It. They did it with the 1.5-mile tracks. They went way overboard. Everybody hated it. Uh, I, I, I sure hope they don't go seven tracks that they have now uh, on the schedule uh, for the road races. And I agree. I think if they say that uh, three range, uh, that's probably the max uh, for the dirt races. Uh, I think 
we'll be okay there. But if they go over that, they're, they're, it's going to be overkill and it's not going to have the same appeal. Uh, I, I, um, I remember one of the uh, concerns was the cost of bringing the dirt in. And I did a little research on that. And uh, I, I know that they stockpile the dirt that they're taking out of that racetrack uh, about having that stockpile at the track so that the following year they can draw from that stockpile to put that dirt back down to the track. The other thing that I, I read that they did is they took dirt from uh, the camping area uh, and used some of that dirt on the racetrack as well. So they're looking at ways that they can keep that cost down. Uh, I know it takes a lot of manpower, uh, but I think they're getting a lot for their buck. Uh, for the manpower that they put into putting that dirt. Uh, I know that there was a lot of racing going on at the track for at least two weeks prior to the Cup Series coming in there, and I'm not sure if there was any more uh, happening after uh, the NASCAR Cup Series and Series was there, but uh, I I know that they're trying to maximize the use of of that dirt at the track as well. Jeff Gluck brought up that he thought attendance bump was because of the uh, time slot, uh, although he admitted that he didn't have anything to back that up. <clears throat> I think we do definitely have the fact of, um, of uh, the fact that attendance is up uh, this year, even with the rain, uh, even with uh, some of the things that they had to deal with at that track. The attendance was up, I think, because it was a dirt race, and there's facts to back that up. So I, I think it's all good. And uh, I, I, too, would like to see it at a different track besides Bristol. I think this is a temporary until they can kind of find a track uh, that can accommodate NASCAR. Uh, and maybe that's what they're looking to do at North Wilkesboro. I don't know. I'm just speculating here and putting that out as a possibility. Uh, but I feeling NASCAR is actively involved in looking for where they can develop a track uh, for that dirt racing. So, Mike, you get the final word here. You kind of brought up a good point there. We're going into year three now. The next year is going to be year three of this. At some point, it's going to transition from experiment to steady state regular racing. And we've, we kind of figured out that this kind of works, but now we need to kind of start refining the process and figuring out, is this something we want to make a permanent fixture on the schedule? And if so, how do we streamline that permanent fixture to make it work? And as much as of a success as doing the, the dirt track race at Bristol was, I don't think the permanent solution, if we want to keep a dirt track race on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule, is to keep it at Bristol Motor Speedway. The logistics of it, the complication of it, the expense of it is just, it's significant. So if they can figure out how to transition a regular dirt track, uh, Eldora or any of the other premier dirt tracks that are in the country, and there's quite a few that are deserving of a NASCAR Cup Series date, if they can figure out how to make that happen at a, a regular dirt track, I think that's probably the better way to do it for a permanent dirt track on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. So we'll see. We're going to do the, the dirt race at Bristol again in 2023. We'll see what it looks like for 24 and beyond if they want to keep it at Bristol, if they start looking at a 
more permanent home for the NASCAR dirt track race. Okay. Dad, uh, you get to bring up uh, one more topic here. All right, let's see uh, what else we got here on our list. Um, I don't know if we had any other big ones on there. I think we had covered them all from the other night. Believe it or not, I don't know that I have another one here. Uh, looking up the list, I don't see any others. Did did either of you have any others that that we didn't get to? I'm scrolling up the list here too. I know there's some that we've missed from previous weeks, but whether or not they're still, do we want to talk about the crew chasing for uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt and the fact that this is his debut in the Xfinity series? Sure. Let's let's go with that. Oh, Mike, go. (laughs) Well, all right. Um, who is crew chiefing for Jeffrey Earnhardt? Well, none other than America's crew chief, Larry McReynolds. It was announced on Fox's broadcast last week that Larry McReynolds, the, who is not a retired crew chief, he is merely on a sabbatical, as he put it, is going to be crew chiefing for Jeffrey Earnhardt this weekend at Talladega. He's also going to be doing some in-race correspondent kind of work for Fox Sports, so he's not going to be completely out of the Fox broadcast. But, yeah, Larry McReynolds is going to be back on the box this weekend at Talladega. Okay, Um, Jay. All right, I will try and bite my tongue here. This is one where I get frustrated with the, it seems like fans that watch NASCAR just to find something to complain about to bash it. I mean, if you're not a fan, don't watch it. Uh, Calling it a publicity stunt. Yes, it is publicity. To have Jeffrey Earnhardt, first off, be able to drive the number three. If you're a race fan, that is magical. I mean, that is history-making. And then to pair him with Larry McReynolds, yeah, they're making a, a, uh, adding to it with the publicity, but there's a reason for that because it is the overall success of the sport. As we talked about with uh, Fox and NBC, it is good for the sport. So I don't see the issue with it. And I'm really excited for it. Again, as a race fan, just the history that goes with it, Jeffrey Earnhardt having that opportunity to, and then Larry McReynolds coming back, willing to come back and do the crew chiefing roles. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to have somebody in his ear because he has been, what did we say, out 22 years. Uh, I'm sure he's going to have somebody there over his shoulder and be like, you're still sure you still know what you're doing here? You know, just to kind of follow up with him. But to see that, um, again, they're willing to do that for the sport. And so I view that as a great thing, not just a publicity of – get a little of attention because they're not getting it. I couldn't agree more. I know uh, SiriusXM, I can't remember which show it was now, but they had an extensive conversation about fans calling everything a gimmick uh, and it, in a negative sense. Um, if they weren't doing something, we'd be saying they need to – and I remember saying this myself. I would like to see them do a better job of promoting the races. That's what this is. They're doing a better job of promoting the different races with different things that are coming up in the pipeline to give fans something to look forward to, a reason for tuning in. Um, And Larry McReynolds and Jeffrey Earnhardt driving that number three is a reason for people to tune in again. This is directly at those fans 
that left NASCAR for whatever reason uh, to encourage him to come back and see that number three back on the track at Talladega Super Speedway, and who helped uh, Dale Earnhardt win some a lot of the races he won? None other than America's Group Chief, as Mike puts it, Larry McReynolds. So I think it's fantastic that they're doing that. Uh, they are promoting these races in a positive way. They're not just promoting it with Rex. They're promoting it by putting Jeffrey Earnhardt in that number three car and having Larry McReynolds be the crew chief. I listened to some Dale Jr. downloads the other day, and I happened to catch uh, one with um, Terry Earnhardt and Dale talking, and it was a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, they talked about how Terry met his dad and, and uh, all the things that he did. Uh, Terry happens to be the father of Jeffrey Earnhardt and how that family reconnected, uh, you know, the two families. And I thought uh, it was a wonderful uh, Dale Jr. download. I would encourage people to, if you want to know a little bit about the history there, go back and listen to that uh, episode with Terry Earnhardt. Um, it was really, really good. Larry McReynolds, by the way, said on uh, Sirius XM uh, the other day, or maybe it was earlier today, uh, he has every book of every race he's been a crew chief for at Talladega Super Speedway, and he's planning to use that book this weekend. So uh, he's got a lot of a wealth of knowledge that he's going to, to uh, the track this weekend. Mike, your follow-up. Well, is it a publicity stunt? Yes, absolutely it is. Is that a bad thing? No, not at all. You guys pretty well covered it that we're trying to promote the sport. We're trying to get more people interested in the sport or get people who've left the sport to come back, and they found a pretty good way to do it. The thing I'm really interested about here is we've talked about Larry McReynolds has been off the pit box for 21, 22 years, something like that. And we've mentioned it before, and this, this, this radio show is not the only place where this discussion has happened, where the further and longer that a broadcaster is removed from their original role, whether it's a driver or a crew chief, the more dated their information and their perspective gets to be. So the fact that Larry McReynolds is going to get to actually be a live crew chief again, not only is it good for the promoting the individual race this weekend at Talladega, but it also gives Larry McReynolds, the broadcaster, a fresh look at what being a live crew chief in 2022 means versus the last time he was a live crew chief in 2000, over 20 years ago. So getting that refresh for Larry McReynolds is going to pay dividends for us as fans watching the Fox Sports broadcast going forward because theoretically, at least hopefully, Larry McReynolds is going to have a much fresher perspective on how crew chiefing in present-day NASCAR really works. Jay? Yeah, Mike, that's a good point. And I know it's kind of been brought up before, but you're right, um, that in-touch, current and up-to-date in-touch directly hands-on certainly does then enhance, like you said, the broadcast and the knowledge he brings to the broadcast when he comes back to broadcasting full-time. So you're right, there's an added bonus and benefit there. Again, overall increases the sport. And that's what I, I really like with the whole program. 
And yeah, Sharon, you used the word, and I guess I didn't realize it had come from uh, SiriusXM, but yeah, the gimmick is the word I was looking for earlier that fans like to use, <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything. Um, and that's just not true. I, I get so frustrated with that when I see that. Um, normally don't do a whole lot of responding on Twitter for that reason, but occasionally I do jump in there, and that was one of them. I get frustrated with seeing that. Um, but for the true fans, especially ones that talk about that of having left their, their roots, you know, the grass, grassroots racing. We've talked about going back and putting the focus on that. I think this is just another step of that, the history, history of not only where we came from, um, but keeping that tie to it. So I, I, I see it as all good benefits from it. Absolutely. And, and I wish more fans would sit down and just enjoy the racing. Just sit down and enjoy the race. If you're a NASCAR fan, don't look for everything that's gone negative. Sit down and just enjoy the race. <laughs> if if you could just do that, I think you would find a lot more good things than bad things. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we mentioned Larry McReynolds coming back. Uh, Kikuchi for that number three, having another Earnhardt uh, drive that number three Chevrolet. And not only that, it's an RCR (laughs) number three Chevrolet uh, that's racing this weekend. So all three of those things uh, coming together at Talladega Super Speedway uh, this weekend is uh, uh, really, uh, I think, a, a very positive promotion of the sport. And, uh, again, I think it's aimed directly at those fans that may have left for whatever reason. Uh, And I think the new car, believe it or not, I think the new car is reengaging some of those fans back into the sport. I know when I've talked to people who have left for whatever reason, I've brought up the new car and how great the racing has been this season with that new car. And uh, people are tuning in to check it out. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I think NASCAR has just been on the right track, and I give a lot of credit to the executive management group for doing the things that they've done to make this happen, and to the tracks uh, for doing things like uh, having Larry McReynolds and uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt teamed up together at Talladega with RCR. Uh, those are all great things that are happening within the sport. So um, we are now, do we have time for one more, or do we even have another topic? Jay or Mike, did you find something else that you wanted to talk about? No, I think I think we had pretty much covered all of them. I know some of them kind of had little follow-ups, but I think we had covered already at least the, the primary topic of all of them that I found anyway. And you know Mike? Jay Hoosman, the big mouth of the Mid-South, if he comes up empty, you know my well is dry. So I've really got nothing else to bring up for you. Okay. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I thought we had a great discussion here tonight. And I'm telling you, I'm really liking this uh, this uh, combination of having three people because it seems like we can get a few more topics on the table here uh, for discussion. And I think that's a positive here as well. So I missed Andy. Andy, I know you didn't make it to call in, but we did miss you. But uh, I like the idea of having three of us. So um, just something to think about as we uh, move forward here. Um, 
let's start our roundtable. Jay, we'll start with you. All right. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. If you got a dollar, you can show up at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. It is fan appreciation night. Going to be some great racing action as there's some bounties out on a couple of drivers. That always adds some interest. So that's where I'll be this weekend. But I also wanted to say thank you uh, to Sharon. Uh, I think you saw it on Facebook. I put it up. It has been five years, April of 17, that I started working with you. And I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. It has been an absolute blast. Well, we've been having you here too, Jay. And uh, you've been a great support person at Bamford Racing Blog and Radio, and I appreciate that. So, um, Mike, you're up next. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I will not be at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway, uh, because I'll be at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend taking in the race. Uh, you guys are going to have to keep me posted on how Larry McReynolds does. I'm obviously going to see the three car on the racetrack, but I'm not going to see some of the finer details. So we're definitely going to have to talk about it and see how Larry Mack actually did back up on the box this weekend. Can't wait to talk to you all. Unfortunately, I'm probably going to miss the shows next week because I'm working but I'll at least be on our chat groups and, and whatnot, so I'll have a little bit of a digital presence. You have not heard the end of me, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforracing.com, where we have our podcast player. Uh, and um, uh, we appreciate all of our fans for taking the time to tune in to our show, whether it's on the live broadcast or the uh, podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking time to hear what we have to say. We sure have a lot of fun uh, doing the show on Mondays and Thursdays, and uh, we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Uh, to our fan for racing crew, we thank Jay for being here for the past five years. Michael Orzel, thanks for being here. Uh, I know you missed some of the shows because of the, the work schedules that you have, but uh, when you are able to be on the show, we appreciate you being here. Um, we miss Tommy and, and uh, Andy and Owen. We haven't seen you in a while, but we hope you can come back on here at some point as well. Sam, thanks for all you do for the recaps you do each week on the Cup Series. And uh, I know that you guys are, are looking ahead to, to what kind of articles you might be able to put up. Uh, you might be able to do a fan of the track uh, piece at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I was planning if, on it. I'll get with you this week and, and cook something up. Okay. I was going to say, if that's in the cards, cards we'd sure appreciate it. Uh, and uh, take photos so we can uh, put some of those in as well. So uh, with that, we had Charles Head on the show earlier tonight. Uh, gave us a, a great interview with some great stories, uh, NASCAR-related. And uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, go back and listen to that during our second half hour. Um, uh, we hope to have him back on the show at some point. And looking ahead, uh, this coming up week, let me hit the uh, – we have this coming up week – uh, Greg Van Alts from Menard Series will be on the show Monday night, and uh, we'll be able to get his perspective of racing in the Arkham Menard Series at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, and then on Thursday night, 
uh, I tended to it because we have scheduled Roger Carruth. He wasn't able to be on on uh, the 14th, so we're hoping that he's uh this Thursday, and uh, I hope to get a confirmation on that. So, uh, of course, he races Cindy's Racing, uh, I believe, in the Arkham Art Series uh, this weekend. I'm not also no, yeah, so racing the Xfinity Series or not, but I think he might be. So we'll be able to talk to him about all of that as well. So with that, I think we're ready to call guys. And uh, we're all looking forward to the weekend of racing this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. And don't forget, Erica West is out of Kern County Raceway along with the Spears Pro Late Model Series. All right, good night, All right, enjoy the weekend. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.